That's better. That's better. All right. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of Folks Talking Sports. Excuse me. Houston Round Bar View presents Folks Talking Sports. I'm the host, Chris Gardner of the Houston Round Bar View. Joining me is my colleagues, my, uh, let's see, mentees. Will, you, you're kind of a mentee, you know? Yeah. Kind of. So, I am. Yeah. You, no, no. Andy, you, yeah, Andy, you are. But yeah, we'll, we'll oh, still oh, learning about okay. everything. So yeah. I'm Chris Gardner, Houston Round Bar View. Joining me, Willa Gibson. And plug your website right now, Willie Gibson from Ohio, the state of Ohio. Oh, WTGsports.com. WTGsports.com. And, and also, Andy Yanez from Paw Slam Ajama, the community impact newspaper, and any other thing. How are you all doing? <laughs> uh, Y'all good? I'm doing great. We got a stack show. I can't, I can't wait. Yeah, we got a stack show. So let's get right into it. This first segment. We're going to talk, um, wrap up the NBA Finals, Bucks claiming the championship, and then 720 got a guest, our first of hopefully three guests joining us to get into Uvate stuff, the impact of the Longhorns, Oklahoma's move, I guess soon to be announced move officially going to the SEC and how that impacts the teams in the, the Little 12 and the American Athletic Conference. Little 12. But right now, let's talk about uh, the Bucks. And for Rocket fans tuning in, in just a few moments, I'm going to play a little, a few comments from Kay Cunningham talking about the uh, Rockets as well as the Detroit Pistons, the teams that have the top two picks in the upcoming 2021 NBA draft, which will take place Thursday, July 29th. So I'm looking forward to that. Second hour, after our third guest hopefully talks to us, we're going to dive into USA basketball on the fella side. But right now. Bucks, one and six. They won four in a row. Defeated the Suns. Giannis, Finals MVP, dropped a fifty piece in Game Six. What are your thoughts on uh, the Bucks winning the championship? Um, I've never seen a coach go from the precipice of being fired to winning the championship by Mike Budenholzer ass. I mean, the Bucks did. I mean, they. Made him look good. They made him look good. I mean, Giannis did what Giannis does. I mean, someone told me that, well, Middleton was the guy. Giannis disappeared in, in stretches of that series. I mean, no, he didn't. Giannis averaged 30 and 14. He didn't disappear during that series. Chris Middleton and key stretches towards the, the end of games. And that goes to the whole Batman, Robin, who's the closer. Chris Middleton's is actually the, the specified closer for that team. But Giannis, by no stretch of the imagination, disappeared. He's the unquestioned leader of that team. And he showed that in game six. I mean, he struggled from the free throw line all season and 56% throughout the playoffs and shot 17 for 19 in a closeout game. I mean, that if that's not a leader, if that's not your best player, I don't know what is. So, I mean, congrats. I mean, Drew Holiday – you know, did what Drew Holiday does. He did what they brought him there to do. And, you know, they... You know, but what they is that, Will? What did, what did Drew do? What did Drew? He made plays. He 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 struggled. He, his shot, I think he was a 3 for 16. And he that close out game. Make shots, yeah. Yeah, he struggled, no question. His shot was off in game six. But he brought a common effect. He played defense. He he deep. The reason why he was brought there to Team USA which I know we'll get to in, uh, in later segments, but he played defense. He His overall game is exactly what 
Milwaukee needed. Clearly, Eric Bledsoe, and previous years, wasn't the answer. He brought a common effect, and you know he 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 did what he was brought there to do, and, and they won the championship along with PJ Tucker and other and other pieces as well. But I mean, kudos to the to the to the Bucks. Andy, what are your thoughts on the Bucks winning the championship? Yeah, we'll say it perfectly in terms of the Giannis talk. I mean, he was clearly the best player in the entire series. He had two 40-point games. He closed it out with a monster 50-piece. And th- this is going to be a little bit of my hot take, but I don't think Giannis not only solidified his role with the Bucks. I think he, with his performance right now, and I'm talking right now after the NBA Finals, I feel like he is the best player in the NBA uh, behind no one. I think KD is two. Maybe after that you could put LeBron. I'm not sure about that. No, we're going to talk about that. Yeah, this going to be yeah, I got, I got Giannis number that. one. He is the best player in the NBA today, in my opinion. With that performance, I don't think you can argue. Not only the, the stats, but, I mean, the key plays in the series. It, coming off an injury where, honestly, we didn't we had no idea if he was going to play. He was a game-time decision until the very end and before game one. Um the performance he put in that game one, it wasn't eye-popping, but considering he wasn't supposed to play that game, it was phenomenal. He only grew from there. He had the block on DeAndre Ayton, the alley-oop. I believe it was in game five that sealed that deal. I think Giannis is the best player in the NBA right now. He's not complete, which is scary because he still does. He's, he's, he's 26. He, he maximizes mm. what he does well. He's not a great outside shooter. He's not a great... Low post score, he's not a great mid post score. You know, he does have weaknesses in his game. But for what he does, he is the best at what he does. He's not a complete player yet. That's not taken away mm-hmm. from him. He's just not complete. Now, if he adds a consistent jumper and if he adds a consistent three point shot, then what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, team <laughs> back up off of him now because they would rather him take, ch- take their chances with him shooting jumpers. So, if he adds that to his game, you know, the comparison, I think it was three, four years ago, Shaq himself said, Shaq, Giannis is today Shaq. Mm-hmm. He, he, is, he is that dominant, you know, and, but the thing with Shaq was Shaq never added to his game. Shaq just, he was the biggest dude on the floor. He got the ball down low. He just used that 330 pounds and back and dunk on folks. Giannis is still, is still young enough that he can add a consistent jumper. Add a consistent jump hook. Boy, if he can knocks down, if he becomes the 35 plus percent three-point shooter. Man, how do you defend I mean, him? You know, yeah. What do, what do you do? You just say, okay, we're gonna let Giannis get his 35 and then hope everybody else just blow their average. You know, that, that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, <clears throat> but KD is a more complete offensive player. I think LeBron's reign of being the best overall player is coming to an end but mm-hmm. offensively mm-hmm. and defensively he's the most complete player in the league still now you can quibble up by semantics you know that's fine but i'm not going to take it away from Giannis carried the bucks for most of that game until the other teammates stepped up and don't forget about bobby portis bobby portis stepped up huge for the bucks he 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 was the reliable scorer for the first half, along with Giannis, Chris Middleton was struggling. Drew was struggling. Bobby Portis kept them around. Him and Giannis kept them in that game. So, as I've said, teams win, teams lose. Will the Bucks? Okay, if you're Bobby Portis, it's agent. No, no, forget that. 
if you're Bobby Portis, will you take more money from a team that may not have a championship caliber team or take less money to stay with the Bucks and have a chance at repeating? Andy, you first. This is a decision that Bobby Portis has to make. He has his ring. If he wants to go chase the bag, he should go chase the bag and get paid. But if he feels like what the Milwaukee Bucks have established, the culture, the the standard that they set, and he wants to run it back, get another ring, then he'll stay. I think it's a personal decision for him. If I was in his shoes, and I'm in a, this is going to sound so you already have your ring. Go chase the bag. Go, go get paid somewhere. Now, it, it's on, honestly going to be on what he, what he deems is more. What's the bigger deal for him? If he wants to get more rings, compete at a high level. I feel like the Bucks, at least for the next two three years, are going to be at that high level where they'll be they'll have their championship window still open. He can stay with Milwaukee, but if he wants to get paid, he he needs to go elsewhere. Well, secure the secure the bag. Because what everyone's telling me is that Brooklyn is the team to be in the East. And if Kyrie and Harden are healthy, mm-hmm. then Milwaukee, we're not even talking about Milwaukee. So if you bring back a healthy Harden, a healthy, a healthy Kyrie, along with KD, then people tell me that's the team to beat. So if I'm Bobby Portis, you got to secure the bag. You got the ring. Yeah, it's great to win. But if you have it in one then perhaps you take less to stay with a contender. But you won. And now, depending on you know how close the offers are, but yeah, Not if too. it's about the money, yeah, you gotta you gotta go secure the bag. Chris? Okay. And let's, you know, and I'll put it out there. What if Bobby Portis becomes this generation's Robert Ory? He, mm-hmm. he chases the rings from other teams. Bobby goes to teams that have legit chances to win the ring, like Brooklyn. And maybe he's the missing piece there. And gets a, like, no, maybe Bobby gets rings. <laughs> well, that's KD. But, but KD, okay, well, you know. But KD's a better player than Robert Ory. I don't know. Bobby, Bobby don't Portis know. is a similar type of player than Robert Ory was. So, sure. But what if he goes that route? I would hate on it if Bobby decided to chase the bag. Get that money. But is one yeah, ring just enough? Sure. Is one ring enough? What if he wants more? What you know, but he could get that ring. What if he goes to the Lakers for the mid-level, if that's possible? What you know, what if he does that? Yeah. He's not chasing, he's not chasing the bag, he's chasing a ring. That's somewhere else. Yes? Thoughts? No? I think we just lost Will. Um yeah. yeah. Like I like I mentioned, it has to be on his decision if he if he feels like he wants to go, not necessarily ring chase, but just compete at a high level for a championship year in and year out. He's probably gonna have to sacrifice the the big payday. Which, I mean, from a team, if you look at it from a standpoint, he'll probably get offered. <clears throat> I wouldn't necessarily say a max level contract, but a high end deal. I mean, he could get offered from teams like Orlando, uh, teams like that that are Cleveland. You know, are, <clears throat> Yeah, <laughs> Cleveland. There they I go. Mean, there they go. See, <laughs> those level teams where they're necessarily they're not going to do anything in the next couple of years. They could offer him a three, four year contract where you know once they get past two seasons, his contract becomes more attractive, and they could ship him out to a contender. 
if he wants a bag, that that's probably the route he has to take. But that's that's up to him. He has to decide what's more important to him. Okay, before we get to our James Mueller guest, guest James Mueller at, at seven twenty, going to play about a two minute clip of comments from Cade, soon to be Detroit Piston Cade. <clears throat> but anyway, this is from Cade answering questions from two local Houston area uh, media uh, journalists. First one's questions from Brian Bearfield, followed by. Jonathan Fagan from Houston Chronicle. Here we go, Kate Cunningham. From Brian Bearfield. Uh, thank you for your time, Kate, I appreciate it. Uh, does the youth and athleticism of the Rockets intrigue you? Definitely, definitely. I feel like, you know, having young pieces that, you know, you can build with and, and build on is important. And, you know, Houston is, is a team that, has a lot of things that they're trying to get back to. And so, you know, I'm excited to see where they're going with it. Um, Kevin Porter, you know, started getting things going and, and he's looking like he's on track to have a, a great career. They got Christian Wood um, and just some more guys that, you know, are ready to start getting comfortable in the NBA. So definitely an intriguing spot for sure. And do you feel any pressure on being a top five pick? One question. <laughs> no, nah, I don't feel any pressure with it. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, it's basketball. It's, something I've been doing for a long time. So uh, if I feel pressure about being, you know, a, a big-time player or a good player, then there's no point in me, you know, working hard to get to that. So um, I feel like that's to take pressure off is, you know, working hard and, and preparing yourself. Next question from Jonathan Fagan. Thanks for doing this, Cade. Uh, at this stage of the process, well, how do you feel about potentially meeting with either the Rockets or any other teams that have high draft picks? Or do you feel like it's pretty much Detroit and you're just ready to get on with that? Um, You know, I wanted to meet with the team that had number one pick because I feel like I'm the number one pick. So uh, I met with Detroit. They're the ones that have the pick. If the Rockets go get the number one pick, then, you know, maybe I'll meet with them if, if there's enough time. But, um. You know, that's just the that's the way that we went into it. I felt like I prepared myself to be in this position. So, you know, I, I'm going I'm to stick with it. And, you know, I'm happy to see where I go. All right. Thoughts on what he said right there? Any 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 disagreements, approvals, thumbs up, thumbs down? What in the world, Cade? What? <laughs> I mean, you can't fault him for anything he said. He's got that confidence. He feels like he's going to be the number one pick. He's going to be a Detroit Piston by the end of July 29th. Chris, I can see you smiling. Oh, man. I, I, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm hyped, man. Y'all just don't know. I am so hyped. But, yeah, uh, the, another report came out today that the Rockets are set on the number two pick because mm -hmm. the Pistons' trade offers, trade demands are too high, as they should be. As I told y'all, what I was asking for, the wish list was, and if the Rockets want to match that offer, stay number two and go ahead and grab Jalen Green. Jalen Green, to his credit, only worked out for two teams, Detroit and Houston, top two teams in the draft. So it's no different. And uh, according to uh, Draft Express, Jonathan Gavoni, he said that Evan Mobley did not work out for the Rockets at number three. I mean, at number two, he did not work out for the Rockets. So, you know, agents... And it's agents, not really the players. Agents dictate where they want their clients to go. So <laughs> these people say, we're not, we're not going to work for the Rockets. Will, you and your Cavs 
they give Jared Allen a, uh, all set to give him a new contract. They you know gave the right of refusal kind of thing for restricted free agency. So you're looking at Jared Allen and Evan Mobley future go forward. Are you good with that? Yeah, they are looking at it. Actually, am I good with it? Absolutely. Um, you know, Evan Mobley is the young prototype big. You you pair him with a Jared Allen. Um, Cleveland's desperately lacked size the last few years. Kevin Love playing at the five. Um, just it's not working, clearly, and they finally realized that. Um, they're also looking to jump back into the top ten. Uh looking at trade offers, I know uh, Golden State at seven is looking to get off that pick from reports. Um, Orlando at five and eight mm-hmm. possibly could be a trade partner for Cleveland to get back in. And, and uh, uh, Jonathan Kubzinga, uh teammate of Jalen Green with the Ignite team, is a target. Uh, reports are his workout in Cleveland was lights out. They He oppressed from pillar to post. Everything that he did while he was in Cleveland on off the court, totally impressed. Uh, the staff, Kobe Altman, uh, Mike Gansey, and, and that staff in Cleveland. So his, he's the target if they are able to jump back into, into the top 10. But at three, it's, it's definitely Evan Mobley. Andy, what do, you, what do you say about are you good with the Rockets? Because I think you guys at Paul Samadema had a, a recent podcast about discussing the, the draft and doing mock mm-hmm. choices. What, was, what, were, what did you stand in, in your mock picks? Yeah, that that episode actually released yesterday on Saturday. Um, we did a how do you say a merger episode? We with the Launchpad podcast, uh, another one of our podcasts at Apollo Media, and like you mentioned, talking about the NBA draft and that subject did come up. If we were in Raphael Stone's shoes, would we trade for the number one pick? And I was on the side, just keep your assets, um, especially with what the asking price is for Detroit. And you mentioned Chris Gar- Chris, he said that the minimum should be all three first-round picks this year and, and then a, a future first next year, whether it's Detroit's own pick or your own. I think that the asking price is way too high for that, especially in this draft where, I mean, the other three candidates outside of Kate Cunningham are coming out. They're really high coming out of college or the G League, wherever they're coming from, especially when it comes to if you go with Jalen Green, you'll have a young backcourt with him and Kevin Porter Jr. You get a chance to grow that youth. If you keep your assets in the future, maybe you can have – a package around those future capital picks from a disgruntled star and accelerate that process if that's whatever the Rockets choose to do. I think right now giving up those assets for Cade is too it's too soon, in my opinion. And with that, our first of three guests has joined us. He's in the he's in the green room. We're gonna go to him now. And folks, we're gonna talk football, college football for for a good while. So just, just be patient. Time. We'll get back to basketball. Uh Eight o'clock at some point, but we're <laughs> going to start with college football and, and big news and impact. And the first guest going to bring in James Mueller from the Daily Cougar, sports editor for the Daily Cougar. James, how you doing, man? Good, good. How are y'all? Doing great, great man. All right, Mister Sports Editor for the Daily Cougar. What were your thoughts? Because I think uh, I sent you a link Friday or Saturday. I don't even know which one it was, but it's about the news about Longhorn Sooners going to the SEC. And your comment was basically, uh, yeah, I have thoughts on that, <laughs> thoughts about that. So <laughs> what are your thoughts, man? Yeah, my mind's been spinning a lot. Um, first of all, I just think, I mean, obviously covering Houston, uh, the University of Houston, there's a lot of 
impacts on if this if Oklahoma and Texas actually end up do going to the SEC, which it looks like it's almost a foregone conclusion. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think one, the Big Twelve is in trouble just because those are your two big money makers right there. They have the biggest fan bases. They typically have the most success all around in sports. I know Texas hasn't been great in football or basketball um, recently, but they've dominated swimming and tennis and other sports in OU. They've made the playoffs almost every year. Um, so I think it's it's the Big 12 is in a tough situation. Um, but the intriguing thing then with that, like in my job, is like what's it mean for Houston, right? Um, and if they would get pursued, I know there's been reports saying that some of the teams, the Big 12, might be interested in if Texas and Oklahoma do leave are Houston, UCF, Cincinnati, BYU, teams like that. So I think it's a very intriguing prospect. Um, and then I also think the second, the second uh, big idea it brings up is this idea of super conferences, right? The SEC, everyone knows, is the uh, premier football college football conference. They've dominated – an SEC team is always almost in the college football playoff championship. They're always in the playoffs. Most, a lot of times an SEC is the champion. So it's the premier football conference. So if you see these two schools like Oklahoma, who's been one of the better football programs for the past decade or so, and then Texas who has had their years and looks to be like they could be on the rise with Steve Sarkeesian, it, it brings into question, you know, then will other teams jump ship to other conferences? Will the AC, a, uh, ACC look to add someone? The Big Ten look to add some big-time names? So I think there's a lot of different ways this can, can go. And, yeah, there's just – I mean, it's a lot to think about. And let's since the th- three of us are in Houston and Will is in Ohio in, in Big Ten country, Will, hold, hold, your, hold your water because we're going to come to you to get the Big Ten perspective in just a second. (laughs) But uh, let's talk about from a U of H perspective and an AAC perspective. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with the rationale that some have suggested that the teams in the AAC should stay put because the American is more stable, the future of the American is more stable than the little 12? Um. It just depends. I think it looks like that right now. The American's probably more stable because with the Big 12, you have all these reports that Kansas and Iowa State have reached out to the um, Big 10 and uh, West Virginia wants to join the ACC. So it looks like if Texas and Oklahoma do jump ship, it looks like all these other schools are going to um, as well. So in that sense, I'd say the American's uh, more stable, but then there's also the alternative, right? If the remaining eight big 12 teams stay together then if you're a houston a ucf a cincinnati like that you could if you could get over to the big 12 i think that would put you in a better position just because the quality of competition is a little improved even without texas and oklahoma um if you could add some of those uh premier american conference teams not only in football but basketball and other sports as well so yeah andy what do you say because i got a retort to that but what do you say yeah, I think we we might be leaning towards the same direction. I don't know what your retort is, Chris, but I think the American Athletic Conference needs to kind of get into survival mode a little bit, start seeing how many schools they can reach out from the big, or like you're saying, the little 12, because there's a lot of rumors going on right now. I mean, I've heard things from even the Pac-12 trying to absorb not only some of these little 12 schools, but also 
team from the American. I know U of H has been thrown out there. I'm not sure how viable that actually is. And, and like James mentioned with super conferences, if that happens, the American Athletic Conference is not going to exist in a few years or however fast this timeline is. The whole process with this news has been really accelerated. But I think I, I mentioned this before, and you sent me the, another thing that might be uh, – in favor of the American Athletic Conference, which would be that if the OU and UT, the the money that they get from the buyoffs they have to pay, that would not be shared with any new schools that would join the Big 12. I think that's a big plus for, you know, say the American Athletic Conference, which if any of those teams decides to jump ship and head over to the Big 12, wants to fill that void, they won't necessarily get any of those. Well, they'll get financial benefits, but not as big from the, the buyout of UT and OU. And like one thing they mentioned with the stability, that's something that the American Athletic Conference is going. And it's something we've kind of, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say kind of pointed at the American Athletic Conference. They, they love calling themselves the power six. They better hurry up and act like a power conference school if they want to survive, in my opinion, because everything's so fr- everything's so fragile, for lack of a better word, in terms of how everything's movement moving yeah i'm glad you mentioned that andy well will i mean you're you're an out-of-towner so what are your thoughts from looking outside looking in about what the longhorns and sooners are doing and the ramifications of college football college athletics overall um we talked about it with bobby portis portis they're straight securing the bag i mean this is not about competition this is not about um rivalries this is not about um this is strictly about financial considerations period i mean the sec uh, i think was it they get a a report i saw 56 million per team as far as their revenue sharing portion that i mean that's i mean ut willing to give up the longhorn network in order to join the sec if that's not about a financial consideration, I don't know what is. That tells you right there, this is about money. Period. Period. Oklahoma pretty much has its run. Every now and again, you have a, a Baylor step up that tries to you know, challenge. But for the most part, Oklahoma has its run of football in the Big 12. And they want to give that up to go battle head up against Alabama? It's money. Flat out. It is. And the Oklahoma angle is, you brought up, that's the point right there. Why would they leave where they, especially if the assuming the new 12-team proposal happens, OU would have just about year in, year out in the, the Big 12, a spot in the college playoff. Mm-hmm. Moving to the SEC, their chances lessen because you're competing against Alabama, LSU, Florida, Georgia. Auburn, Texas, you know, Texas A&M. Texas A&M. That's seven teams right there. Now, I think we, we all agree that with the new playoff and 12 teams invited, the SEC is counting on four or five of their members going to be in that mm-hmm. <laughs> part of that 12. <laughs> but even if it's four or five, we named eight teams from the SEC. That means three or four of them aren't going to be there in, this, in the playoff. So... The money's going to be a lot, no doubt about that. 
I'm kind of surprised Oklahoma's doing this. The Big 12 is disappointed in, in Oklahoma and loyalty. All that went out the window years ago. You know, those folks being naive. But from a U of H perspective, from an AAC perspective, and Joseph Duarte should join us, and hopefully he's on vacation. He's, gonna, he's agreed to join us from vacation in about 10, 11 minutes. Um, he wrote an article about this, and I spoke to someone yesterday, another source, almost hand-in-hand with J.D. said that the American will be proactive and aggressive in reaching out to get to invite teams from the Big 12, Little 12, to join the American. Because, as Andy mentioned, the money, the buyout money from Longhorns and Sooners would go to the current members, the remaining members of the Little 12. That would not go to the new members. Okay, so that wouldn't go to Houston, Cincinnati, UCF, or whoever Little 12 invited. That would just go to Baylor, Oklahoma State, K-State, Iowa State, et cetera. So in factor that in, you got the Big 12 TV contract comes up in three, three years, three, four years. Without Texas and Oklahoma, they're not going to get big dollars mm-hmm. from a network. So the money they get might be on par with what, they, what the American gets right now. But if the American, on the other hand, adds Oklahoma State, Baylor, TCU, BYU, Boise State, whatever, better teams, and goes to ESPN and says, hey, we want to renegotiate our deal with y'all. Look at who we've added. Look at the content we've added to you. Let's work on an agreement that increases our payouts for our member schools. What about that angle? I mean, I can speak just uh, I, I agree with you and what you said um, about the American being aggressive and pursuing. I've heard from multiple people as well that they're going to, you know, they want they'd rather. I mean, obviously, they'd rather have teams brought in than the conference disbanded. I think the only uh, the only pushback to that, I would say, is I think a lot of these schools, if you're like a Baylor, a Kansas and Oklahoma State, whatever, I don't think the American will be a lot of their first choices to go to. I think they're going to try to get into, you know, whether it's the Big Ten, the ACC, uh, the Pac-12. So I think that's the that's the hard part is uh, convincing them to come to the American because there are options out there that look better to them at the moment. I agree with that. And I think some of them will be surprised when the, the phone call is when, when the phone is hung up in their face. You know, so that's going to happen to some of these programs. Yeah. One of one of the we've heard being discussed of uh, main impetus for Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12 is they tried what was it February, March to open up negotiations with ESPN Fox for a new deal. And those TV contract never, never, never saw them. Yeah, we're not, we're not interested in doing that right now. Or well, the money they suggested was less than what they're getting right now. So the long Texas were like, uh, well, maybe we need to do something else. So that that was that was like a further push for them to leave, to go to the SEC to get more money, to be in that the biggest or second biggest conference, you know, in football in the country because they know that's where the money is going to be. Mm-hmm. Money is not going to be in in the remaining Big Twelve. So saying that, will yes, sir. KU supposedly reached out to the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Only only thing that the Big Ten and Miles would want because for, want KU 
is because Kansas is an AAU, an American Association University, an AAU school. That's it. Mm -hmm. Football stinks. Okay. Yep. Football makes the world go around in college sports. Yep. Do you think the Big Ten would say, come on, KU, yeah, come on, join us? Do you think they will? Uh, no. No, they wouldn't. Uh, what I will tell you this, um, and I know, you know, you talked about the AAC. Oh, we lost Will. You know, I wanted to. This, Kevin, that, oh. Come on, come on. I see it. You broke up there. Try it again. I know. I, again, I guarantee Kevin Warren will be on the phone with the University of Cincinnati. It's a natural. It's a natural progression. Not Cincinnati will be invited to join the Big Ten, in my opinion. And that makes sense. But uh, is Cincinnati an, an AAU school? Uh, that I would have to look into. That I'm not sure. Because I, I, I asked that because for a few years, one of the reasons the Big Ten was who they were, wanted to, you know, pound, beat their chest, is because the members, if not all of them, majority of them, were members of the AAU. So, you know, a few years ago, U of H president, what is the official title of, of Dr. Couture? Chancellor, what is what is it? What is it? Official title? What is what is she really president? What is it, guys? Help me out here. What is I it? think it's chancellor. Chancellor. Yeah. She wants she wants to get the University of Houston. Yeah, chancellor. To the AAU status, you know that tier one status and all those things. That's one of her goals. I mean, she stated that a few years ago. Mm -hmm. So if the Big Ten sticks with that, then I don't see them changing. You know, money talks. We we all know that. Mm -hmm. But why would Big Ten change? that membership status just to get Cincinnati or just to get uh, West Virginia or, or, you know, whoever to join the, the conference. Yeah. Real quickly looking that up, it does not look like Cincinnati's an AAU school. Okay. So. so I think from a regional perspective, it makes sense. Football perspective, they're, they're a top, 10, top 15 program. Luke Fickle's doing great things. Ohio State wouldn't be scared. It'd be great rivalries, you know, between them. Oh, look at that. He's on screen. So I, I don't know if he uh, left vacation or found a hot spot or something. He's, he's chimed in early. So let's see. Let's go to him. We've got a big time guest joining us now to add some insight to this discussion. Mr. Joseph Duarte from the Houston Chronicle. How you doing, man? Good. How about you, Chris? Doing great, man. Thank you for joining us. Oh, I, I couldn't pass it up when you've got when you got Andy James and, and Sam Khan. So I, you know, I had I had to get in on this. Andy, I read your article about the AAC being aggressive and uh, pursuing teams. Just what are your thought? What can you add uh, to that? Well, you know, Chris, this is sort of um, you know, there's a lot of moving parts and. You know, the first domino is is Oklahoma and Texas making their intentions known to the Big 12 that, that they plan to leave. And, and once that happens, then you have, okay, what happens with the, the, the eight remaining teams? And, and that's where things could get tricky because there's a lot of scenarios. You know, you could have those eight teams try to go find two to four teams and, and somehow have the Big 12 survive, which I think is, is probably the last thing that happens. Uh, you could have those eight teams 
decide to break off. Uh, you've heard, you know, possibly Oklahoma State, Texas Tech going out west to the Pac-12, Kansas, Iowa State possibly to the, the Big Ten. You know, you've got some mix. So, you know, there's that scenario. And then there's there's the one that I think is kind of the funniest of them all. You look at the American is now in a position of strength. You know, five years ago, they were going to get raided and possibly lose some of their biggest names. Now they could sort of be a home or a, a landing spot for, if not a few, possibly all eight teams. I'm being told that they are not going to sit back. They are going to be very aggressive in this move. Uh, they, they feel like this is a good opportunity uh, in terms of where the next wave of, you know, these super conferences or whatever. You know, I, I think ultimately, Chris, just the long story, you know, long answer short here. Uh, you know, I think you're going to go down to four of the major kind. It's going to be a power four. And I don't know if the American will have still have enough to get in. I know that they've requested a meeting is in the last month or so uh, with the other commissioners. So, a lot of things are on the table, but the American certainly wants to go out and, and if they can pluck a, a Baylor or a TCU or a Texas Tech and kind of add that regional feel with SMU and Houston, I, you know, I think I think that would be their best case scenario and uh, certainly uh, would would help them in the long run. JD, I want to ask you what James brought up. Mm-hmm. What if you're Mike Oresco? What would you say to him? to Oklahoma State, Baylor, TCU, to want to join the American? I would I would tell them, one, we offer stability, which I, right now they, they can't say that in the Big 12. And I'd also say, you know, based on what the Big 12 is looking at, there's no two, two teams out there that, that are going to provide as much value as Texas and Oklahoma. I was even told by, by one industry source that they feel like the, the, what those two schools bring to the table is about 70 cents on the dollar. So you're looking at the other eight schools and what they would offer. You're not going to get a, I mean, you're not going to get a loader Dame. You're not going to get somebody like a USC or somebody to move, move to your conference. So if, if you're Mike Oresco, you could tell them, look, come over to our league. The payout will, will, eventually I think will be more than what they're going to be able to offer in the big 12, because I think right now the big 12, excuse me, the Americans at about 12 or so, maybe pushing 15 in some spots. I think at some point the, the, the big 12's payout is going to go from that nice 35, 30 range. And it's going to dip, you know, once, once the, uh, the negotiations happen again and, and they, uh, they're back at the table for the TV money. So you know, if you're Mike Oresco, you, you have some things to offer and, and I, there's worse spots. I mean, where, they, where, where else would, they go the Mountain West, you know the the Sun Belt Conference USA. You know the American has proven to be that Group of Five conference that's sort of the premier. You know they've they've had the the New Year's Six Bowl, and now the college football players offers a spot. So I mean they're they're pretty much going to be able to get uh, as much in the American as they would if they try to stay in and keep the Big Twelve alive. James, what do you say about that? Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree. If you look at the American, even though they're not technically, you know, a power school uh, or a power conference, they've had so much success. They've had a Final Four team in Houston this year. They had a Cincinnati football team that I thought should have gotten the fourth spot in the college football playoffs. Obviously, they didn't, but they went toe-to-toe with Georgia in their bowl game. Um, they have they have a lot more to offer, and I, I agree with Joseph also that, you know, if Texas and o- OU, that thing does become official and they announce their intentions to leave the conference – I think the last resort for the remaining eight teams is to stay together because they know, like Joseph just mentioned, no, the, the big dogs in the conference are gone and it, it's just going to be a struggle. 
um, revenue wise and just to get even media coverage and all that. So yeah, I, I 100% agree with what Joseph's saying and think the American does have a pitch um, that could uh, draw interest. Cause like we were saying before, not all these teams, uh, the remaining eight teams would have a chance to get into the big 10 or the ACC or whatever. They, they, there's some that will be denied from those other conferences. Chris, keep in mind also that, you know, if the American doesn't add one single big 12 school, they could still go out. You know, we've heard that, uh, they wanted BYU in the past. They wanted Boise State. They wanted San Diego State and even Colorado State. So in, in that regard, you could still strengthen your conference and expand your footprint by adding any of those schools. The Big 12 could possibly go after Colorado, see if they want to come back to the conference. You know, that, that's the, that hasn't been exactly the right fit. Or maybe get a Utah. We've heard the Arizona schools possibly. So there's, there's a lot of things. Uh, you know, the Pac-12 hasn't indicated that they really want to do anything. But if you're the American, you have options. And right now, that's a lot more than you can say from what they had five years ago. Andy, and this is for all, all three of you. If you're Commissioner Resco, um, I think the AAC has 11 football schools, right? Ten. 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 Okay. Ten. Yeah. Which, okay. Yeah. So would, would you want to yeah. add six teams to go to 16? If yes to that. Give me your wish list for those for six. Who? I'd, I'd probably go Baylor, Texas Tech, TCU, if you can get those from the Big 12, and then BYU, Boise State, and for wild card, try to get Oklahoma State in there. See if you can get nab them. James? Mine would be similar. Um, I think – Baylor, Texas Tech, and TCU, if you can try to get more Texas teams in there um, to, you know, create that sort of Texas bond, um, that that could be a pitch. Um, and then Oklahoma State, obviously, um, they're the best football school of in the Big 12 remaining if Texas and OU leave, um, in my opinion. So I'd go after them. And then BYU, they, they have uh, decent coverage. Um, they have a fan base, so I think that's an option to pursue. And then probably you can – uh, shuffle around that sixth spot, but Boise State or San Diego State, those are the two that I would sort of consider for the, that sixth spot. Joseph, who are your six? Well, I mean, you know, I don't I don't know necessarily if they go to 16. I, I know that's the number when you look at the, the super conference model. You know, I think four may be a little bit more realistic. I still think Texas Tech and Oklahoma State find their way into the Pac-12. That, that was going to almost mm-hmm. happen a decade ago. Uh, you know, I don't know anything specific. I just think that it, then now would be the time for the Pac-12 to come west. If that's what they're going to do. If this is all going to blow up and you're going to have these mega conferences, you that's where you make your next push to get the state of Texas and, and the sort of the Midwest. So I would sort of try to grab a Baylor and a TCU, and then I would look at BYU and Boise. Those those would be my four. Now, if I if I had to go with with the 16 team model, my other two. I don't know if I would necessarily get both Texas Tech and, and Oklahoma State. I'd probably get Texas Tech, and then I would I would go with one of the other ones that I mentioned earlier, like a San Diego State or a Colorado State. But, you know, we've heard all kinds of stuff, Chris. You know, maybe the reincarnation of some type of Southwest Conference regional type deal. Uh, you know, do they, do they go back and, you know, try to do that? But, you know, right now – this thing, I'm just amazed. You know, this took so long last time just to have the the guys lining up to interview to see who's going to go. 
Big 12. We're talking about this stuff happening in the span of a week in terms of intentions known. And then I think that's when you're just going to see the dominoes fall after that. We've got a question. It's for all of you. Does Texas Tech bring more to the Pac-12 than Houston? Joseph, you first. Um, no, I mean, because, I mean, if you're looking for, for new, something new, the, the what you don't have, they don't have the Houston market. Now, it, had Texas gone 10 years ago? Yeah. Uh, everybody would say in the, when, uh, when Houston was up for the Big 12 that the Big 12 already had the Texas mar- the Houston market because of Texas, and that, and that was true. But in this case, they don't own the, the Houston market right now. But I think, yeah, you get, you get that, uh, that market. That's why I go with them. Now, if you go with sort of the name brand, somebody who's been in the power leagues, you look what Texas Tech has done uh, in basketball. And, and, and a little bit of their football history, then, then that's probably the fit. But I, I think if you're looking for eyeballs and you're looking to, to go into a new market, Houston is where you go. Now, a lot of tech fans will tell you that they have a lot of alums and a lot of them live in the Houston area. But I still think, you know, they don't have that market and Houston would be the way I go if I'm the Pac-12. Andy? Yeah, for sure, especially when you're talking recent success. I know the football team has kind of taken a, a bit of a downhill in the past few seasons, but look at basketball, what they were able to accomplish last season. And, Joseph, I kind of have a question for you that's <laughs> it's funny what I just said. Um, but in terms of Houston, do you see them kind of – what, from their perspective, do you see them being staying put and letting play out what the American does, or do you see them being aggressive to join one of these other conferences, whether it's the Pac-12 or the Big Ten? or? Well, yeah, you know, you you've been around campus, Andy. You sort of know the there's the public spiel where they're like, "We're happy," and the American, yeah. we're not looking to go anywhere. And then there's the behind the scenes where maybe it's not even behind the scenes. If you're Tillman Fertitta, he has basically said, "We will be in a power conference one day." Now yeah. he said that five years ago. It may happen, but it's not going to be anything close to what we thought it was going to look like five years ago. We thought it'd be the Big Twelve. And Texas and Oklahoma would be leading that, and it would be this mega conference. But, you know, I think publicly you're still going to hear Houston say it's the American. I've talked to people that have said that all American uh, ADs are on board. They're all united right now. They feel like this is an opportunity to sort of strengthen their hold. And and, and perhaps you know, they've done it on the field. Now perhaps in the pecking order, leapfrog the, the Big 12. I think Houston's always – they should be looking out for themselves. They should be looking at options, and the SEC is not going to be an option. The Big Ten's not an option. The ACC is not an option. So your only option right now would be the Pac-12. So if something works out where they can squeeze themselves into uh, a deal where, you know, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, Houston, something like that, I think you have to take it. And But, again, you look at what the Pac-12 has done. They haven't exactly been world beaters and all this and they've certainly been behind uh the eight ball when it comes to the college football playoffs so you know i think all options are on the table in terms of the pac-12 and the american and maybe to some degree but very lesser the uh the big 12 for houston james does houston offer more than texas tech for the pac-12 yeah i mean i gotta agree with what both joseph and andy said just because of the houston market um and I think Joseph brought up a good point that, you know, Texas Tech does have a lot of alums, especially in the Houston base. But with Houston, uh, sort of what they've done under President Couture and how the school's grown and then their athletic success, especially in basketball, I think, you know, they're, they're sort of controlling their own city in the market. So I think Houston would offer more in terms of 
in the long run. But um, yeah, it just depends which way the Pac-12 wants to go. Do they want to go with a name brand that has been discussed before, or do they want to go with you know a fresher face that has more potential um, in terms of marketability? See, I'm curious with one more thing. And Chris, uh, I was going to for everyone, does this kind of make Dana Hogerson's seat for this upcoming season a lot more hotter? Because if UH has, if UH football has another down year where they, I think Hogerson combined the past three, two seasons has won like seven games total. Um, if they have another bad year, does that put pressure on Renuka Tor, Tillman Fertitta to make a move right now with how everything's kind of up in the air in, in terms of conferences to, to produce those wins? It does I mean, in my, my mind, yes, but y'all can add to it. Yeah, I mean, like we talked about last week, uh, their schedule is very favorable. They should have eight wins at a minimum, <laughs> maybe nine. Um, so, I mean, even if this wasn't happening, I think Holgerson's – I mean, he's got to win this year just given uh, the how they've been, turned out the last few years and also just – how favorable their schedule is. We talked about how their non-conference matchups, they should win every single one except Texas Tech's a toss-up, but that's a very winnable game. And then in the conference, they're avoiding the big dogs like UCF and Cincinnati. So I think regardless of whether this goes on or not, um, with the conference realignment and stuff, I think the pressure's been on him um, since uh, the 2020 season ended. Joseph, is you know I'm I'm going to borrow Dana's words from last week at the coaches convention. He said, "What did I do to you to deserve that question?" Uh, and he was joking because they asked him about the NIL, and he knew nothing about what what was going on. But you know, you're making four million dollars. The, the the pressure should be on you, and yeah. and and I think he's in a situation where year one you're implementing new stuff. It's sort of a mulligan year. You, everybody gets the year one to figure things out. Last year was the COVID year. They got hit just as hard as anybody in terms of cancellations and stuff. We're into year three of a five-year deal. Yeah, th- this there's there's no more outs. There's no more uh, you know excuses if if if, the, if that's the word. So I you know I do think that there's there's a pressure on him. And as Andy, excuse me, as James mentioned, you know the schedule sets up very favorably where. You know, anything, in my opinion, you know, it below eight wins would probably be a disappointment. And then, you know, if they go six and six, then then they should seriously be considering making a change. But you got to remember two things. You know, Houston has, for the most part, one, never paid a coach this much before. And two, in terms of what they would owe for a buyout, you know, this isn't a school that's just given away money in the past. So and then and then three, you know, who would you go out and get? So there's there's a lot of things that are. Yes, writing on this season for Dana Holgerson to be successful. I think everybody in the administration certainly wants him to be successful. Uh, but, you know, anything less than, you know, remember what they said, we fire coaches for eight and four. Uh, that, that would sort of uh, – I always thought that, that that comment would come back and bite them one day. Yeah. And this could be the situation where you look at what they've done and, and if he doesn't have a, a solid year – you know, they, they might have they may not they may not have a choice. Agreed. And let me go from a Pac-12 perspective, because for a few years, I've wondered why the Pac-12 thumbs its nose at Houston, the city of Houston, the markets, the need. You know, they need in my eyes, my opinion, they need to get TV markets eyeballs in the Midwest. 
in the, in the middle of the country, middle of the country, let me say that, center of the country. So, yes, Houston's football is not as good as we think it could be, should be. But now's the time because pre-COVID, pre-pandemic, I heard from a couple of people that there were talks beginning or mm-hmm. going to begin. It was in the pipeline about U of A's going to the Pac-12. But Pac-12 folks and writers, oh, no, no, no. We don't want anything to do with Houston. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't, and, you know, but now last day or two, we're hearing rumblings about the Pac-12 is considering options. Just what do you, what do you think? Is, is it perception of Houston? What is it? Well, Chris, from a national standpoint, uh, you know, I'm not a native Houstonian, but I've been here 25 years now, so I sort of feel like I am now. And, you know, from the national people that I talk to, yeah, that, that, that there is a perception. And, you know, that it's, you know, sort of this, uh, you know, more of a pro town for one. But even then it gets it gets mm-hmm. knocked a lot. I mean, just, I think just the just the feeling from, you know, it's not a Chicago. It's not a not a New York City or an Atlanta or, or in L.A., but uh, to, to answer your part about the Pac-12, you know, when the Big 12 talk was coming out in, in 2016, I remember uh, getting hold of a, a bunch of emails and open record stuff, and Renew Couture and a bunch of the, the administration at Houston had had informal co- uh, conversations with the Pac-12. I remember Hunter Yurchek happened to be out west for a, a personal trip, and he, he jumped in and talked to Larry Scott, the commissioner at the time, and just to kind of gauge, it was a friendly, friendly conversation, but Houston sort of wanted to see, see where things were. So, you know, t- I think maybe times have changed where maybe from a Pac-12 perspective, they, they would feel like, you know, maybe moving into Texas isn't such a bad thing. Now, obviously, if they had their choice, they'd want the Longhorns over over Houston. But since that's off the table, if, if you're going to survive in, in this, you know, this – conference realignment you have to think outside the box you have to go maybe places that you don't have and certainly they don't have texas uh but i guess their point would be how much does houston add to it now you would have oregon and ucla and all those schools coming into town uh every year you'd have them playing at nrg probably quite a bit so you know what does that bring to the table and is it worth you know the headache or or the 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 the, the work to get this way and look at California, all those people that are moving from California to Texas, you know, they're at Austin's kind of the new Silicon Valley of the, uh, of the Southwest. So a lot of things could play into this, Chris. I don't know why they, they frown upon the, the Houston market specifically, but you know, if you're looking for the, to, the new chartered, un, the uncharted territory, you know, they, they might consider coming to Houston. Andy. I mean, could it be per- it's a hard question to answer just in terms of the U of H if you look at the football field what they were able to do in those years in 2014 when they, it looked like they could have been I, I always mix up these years Joseph you can correct me if it was 2015 or 2016 where it looked like they had a real shot at being in the college football playoff like the way they started off yeah. 2015 they no, knocked I mean, off no actually 26 well both both years to, to an extent mm-hmm. yeah but they knocked off the high, they knocked off Oklahoma. They knocked off Lamar Jackson's Cardinals. Yeah, that would have been in 2016. Yeah, yeah. Like U of H has had success on the football field. I'm not entirely sure if it's something at the market. Maybe they're just not attracted to having teams this far out. But I'm not entirely sure. James. Yeah, I mean, just to add on to what both these guys have said, like 
I don't know exactly what it is about the Houston market, but when you're looking at this from a standpoint of, you know, if we're going to have to add Houston's the best option in Texas with UT gone. Um, I take, like I said before, I take Houston over Texas tech if I was the PAC 12. So I think you really, if you are looking to add in Texas in the PAC 12, that might be something they really have to think about then. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta seriously consider Houston um, because of the market and just what they can bring to the table. Like we said, they have the potential to be a good football team. They haven't shown it recently, but they've shown it in previous years. And so, yeah, I mean, Houston's the way to go if you're really, uh, if they're looking to add a Texas presence. And I Chris, think you have, it's- you have, Chris, you have to look at the, the, the elephant in the room though. Houston hasn't been very good in football. I mean, you, I mean, they've been, they've been average. And other than that 2015 year, what have they really done since? Yeah, they have the Lamar Jackson win. They have the Oklahoma win, but they haven't even come close to winning their division, much less getting back to the college football playoff. And that matters for something because you can pick up any team anywhere, but if they're no good, nobody's going to watch. And and what do you get out of that market? And is it worth paying another school, another 25 or 30 million or whatever they're going to get? So, I mean, basketball-wise, Houston would, would have been – Big, great. I'd love to see Houston, UCLA every year or Houston, Oregon. And they played Oregon. You know, you look yeah. at some of the schools that they played, uh, Houston versus Arizona would be a great yearly matchup. But but it, football drives this and Houston hasn't done anything of substance outside of the Peach Bowl year, you know, in the last, you know, 20 years or so. Sad but true. I mean, that is that is the problem. And that's what Dana needs to correct. And it would be I don't say sad, you know, because we're going to cover the school and teams regardless. But ironic if the door is shut in their face again because the football program has done its part of the, the deal, <laughs> you know, and but that'll be the case. All right, James, you want to stick around w- with Sam? Well, I mean, Sam hasn't joined us yet, but. Uh, let's talk. But I, mean, I got Cougar guys here. Some U of H basketball real quick. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, no. Duarte. You, you, yeah. got, you got kinfolk about to be I drafted, do. right? I <laughs> sure do, man. Chris Duarte. He's how, the tallest Duarte, too. I can vouch for that. How are y'all related? Did I lose you? No, no. How, well, you tell us. How, how are you and Chris related? We're not. I've oh, you're just joking. You're joking. Just, just a common name? I didn't think yeah, y'all were. I, I just, yeah. I've adopted the guy. Okay. Well, and I mean, we hey. got the same last name. He's about to be a first round. I'd be stupid not to not to claim him. <laughs> That's smart, man. <laughs> That's smart. Yeah. I, but I got three Cougar guys here. I saw today. I mean, Quinn Grimes. We've seen mock drafts. Quinn Grimes going from maybe twenty three. I think Fagan had him at twenty three to thirty seven to forty range. Today, I, I saw on ESPN. Had Quinn going 28 to the Sixers and Daryl Morey. What are you guys hearing about uh, Quinn's draft status? Uh, You know, I I think if you would have asked any of us, you know, a month and a half ago, uh, we all we all knew that he was he was probably coming out. I mean, this that was going to be the last year. I I probably would have won. Saw him going in the 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 Armani Brooks Nate Hinton route with the with the undrafted you know free agent signing, uh, but what he did at the at the combine the the NBA combine really uh, opened some eyes. 
you know, you, you heard a lot of people uh, from various teams speak highly of him. I think he was the leading scorer uh, at yeah, one point yeah. for most, most of his team's games. Uh, and his stock from that point on really shot up. So I think Fagan had him maybe 30 to the Jazz or somewhere around there this week. But uh, from from what I've heard from just gauging the 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 pre-draft stuff going into the final week, I've, I've seen him in that late 20s range, which to me would be great for him because this is a guy that he had a lot to still show even after a great year that he had at Houston uh, this past year, and, and he went out and did it. So you know, I, I wouldn't it wouldn't be surprising at all if he's a if he's a late first round pick. All right, the, the biggest big dog of the, the night has joined us. Uh, Sam Khan is in the, in the room. Let's bring him in from the athletic. Sam Khan, how are you, sir? What's up, guys? How are y'all? Have you got any sleep last two days? <laughs> <laughs> I have, but only because I cut myself off around midnight and just say, you know what? There's no more that can be done today and get about seven hours of sleep and get up and start all over again. So it's been a busy day, but busy week, but uh, just keep chugging along. So how are you guys? Good. We're doing good, good Sam. All right, man. What's your latest intel on what's going to happen with the Longhorns and Sooners? So tomorrow they're supposed to send a letter to the Big 12 to let them know that they're not going to renew their grant of rights after expiration 2025. That'll be the first step they need to take in order to essentially declare themselves as free agents so they can officially engage with the SEC and so the SEC can take a vote and decide whether or not to invite them, which it certainly seems that once – Texas and Oklahoma free, they will. Uh, and this actually tonight or this earlier this afternoon, the Big 12 uh, executive committee met with uh, the tech presidents of Texas and Oklahoma virtually uh, in, I think, a last ditch effort to try to work something out to try to keep them. There's been some discussions about uh, revenue sharing and whether they can redistribute some extra revenue shares to Texas and Oklahoma and, and reduce the other eight members in hopes of keeping them. But this, so far, from what I can tell, this all seems like a last-ditch effort to stop a train that's already far down the tracks. Sam, when did you hear about this uh, news? When did you first hear about it? Wednesday, when right before Jimbo Fisher got on the mic at SEC Media Days, I think when the Houston Chronicle reported it, and uh, I was about as stunned as I think everybody else in the world was because I, I was a week ago at Big 12 Media Days, and uh, Bob Bowlesby said that realignment seemed to be a back burner item that was not something he was losing sleep over. But I guess we look back at now, maybe he should have been laying awake a little bit more at night. Were you surprised? <clears throat> Very. Yeah, I was stunned. It, I, I had no idea that this was coming. And talking to people over the last few days, it's become clear that this is something that has been in the works for a few months now, uh, probably dating back at least to May when they – Big 12 first went to ESPN and Fox to discuss its television contract, which will be up in 2024. And when ESPN and Fox's response was tepid and they had no desire to, to renegotiate, it certainly seems like Oklahoma and Texas took that as a message to start looking around. Uh, but I was definitely stunned at it. And, and still I'm a little bit shocked that this is actually happening because I don't think I would have ever pictured the two, two of the biggest brands in college football, two of the winningest programs in college football, joining what is considered to be the most powerful conference college football. I, I certainly thought they were going to either stand alone in their own conference together in the Big 12, or if they were going to make a move, I thought it would have been to a different league, not to the SEC. What does this do to the Big 12, teams, the leftover teams, in your opinion? Uh, it's it's going to cripple them. 
uh, there's only a few options. One option is they can try to stay together and attract some teams to expand and get back to double-digit membership and and hope to survive in some way, shape, or form. But if they do that, they're going to take a massive hit in media rights revenue distribution. The Big 12 paid out in 2020 $37 to each school for media rights. If Texas and OU exit the conference, even if you were to add a few teams from the American or BYU or Boise State, I would expect that they would probably get half that or less. I mean, so you're talking a a loss of maybe $15, $20 million in media rights revenue every single year. So it'll cripple them that way. The other option is these teams could look to try to join another conference. You know, the West Virginia's eye in the ACC. Some of these Big 12 teams are looking at the Pac-12. Uh, Kansas, of course, there was a report out that they that are trying to reach out to the Big Ten. Uh, th- there's that is a potential option. Then that is probably the team's best chance of keeping media rights revenue in the same ballpark as it is now is latching on to another power conference. But either way, the options are not good for the remaining eight schools. But Sam, if those leftover schools go elsewhere, wouldn't they have to give up grant of rights or pay money? like that as well so how's that going to work absolutely and that that is probably what makes it hardest to leave is they're going to have to give up they're going to have to pay an exit fee just like oklahoma and texas will unless they reach some kind of settlement i I guess if every team leaves but and the, the whole conference falls apart i guess there's a potential for being able to get around something like that but if if they act individually for instance if west virginia leaves to go to the acc certainly they're going to be on the hook for that money and that's teams that do stay in the conference are going to do everything they can to keep it because they're going to need that money. You guys got questions for Sam? Toss them out there. Yes, yeah, Sam. I'm curious what, what you see from the American Athletic Conference with, with all of this. Do you see them being aggressive? Do you see them trying to absorb some of these remaining Big 12 teams? They're certainly going to try. I think Mike Oresco definitely is going to be on the offensive. Now, whether or not they actually can attract some of these teams – I don't know how realistic that is. I, I would not rule out a merger between those two leagues. Uh, the, the one interesting factor in that is that I think it would be the American would be best served in merging and kind of going folding into the Big 12 as opposed to the other way around, even though the Big 12 will have fewer teams. And the reason I say that is because the Big 12 has that Autonomy 5 designation from the NCAA, and that's something that even though they're, if they go to eight teams, they do not lose that. There is no criteria in the NCAA handbook that says you have to have this many teams or you have to have this configuration to have that A5 designation. It's simply there and listed as the five conferences, the ACC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, the Pac-10, and the SEC. So that is one of the saving graces for this league is if they can keep that, which matters in Division One council voting, which matters in legislative affairs and NCAA governance, then you could potentially – see the American maybe latch on to the Big 12 and create some kind of merger now. But but I do think Oresco and, and the uh, American Athletic are going to definitely be aggressive and try to do something to increase their value, whether it's adding these teams or pursuing some kind of joint uh, merger with the, with the Big 12. Sam, you've been around Texas A&M quite a bit. And, you know, years ago, they, they, they left the Big 12. They joined the SEC. That was their thing. You know, they, they suddenly were – the only team in Texas with the SEC, they could they could make that claim recruiting living rooms. What do you think is going on in their heads right now when they see the so-called big brother 
suddenly uh, making a move into into their territory, and, and now it's sort of like the shadow has followed them back. Uh, you know, a decade later. Yeah, they're definitely upset. They're definitely aggravated because, and I made this analogy yesterday, is they left the Big 12 to get away from Texas and, and in large part to get out of a conference that Texas lorded a lot of power and influence. And Texas threw its weight around. There's no secret about that. The league almost fell apart in 2010 when the Pac-16 flirtation happened. And the reason it held together was because the Texas launched the Longhorn Network and got a massive third-tier rights deal that's way larger than anybody else's in the Big 12. And A&M left to get away from that. And now Texas is following them into the SEC. So they're upset because they, they, have, they have done well since going to the SEC. A&M has established a standalone identity. They have done well in recruiting. And I think in many ways in football, they've surpassed Texas. They've been more stable on the football field. They've won more games. They've won more conference games. They've had two top five finishes in the last eight years. They flirted with a college football playoff. That's more than anything Texas has done on the field. Now, Texas's brand value and their long history and reputation certainly matters a lot, and this is why the SEC is willing to take them in. But as I said, this is like a divorce, and A&M divorced them, and now Texas is coming to move next door. And there's nothing that says that Texas can't move next door, but A&M sure as hell ain't got to like it. And they certainly, they certainly don't at this point, but there's not really much they can do outside of simply going on the field and winning football games and continuing to have success. And Sam, I had a – or Joseph, did you have one more? No, go ahead. Okay. I just had a question sort of on that recruiting. Um, like you pointed out, I saw the stat where, you know, if you looked at Texas A&M's recruits from the past – their last 10 years in the Big 12 to versus their time in the SEC, how, it's, how much it's jumped and even passing Texas. How do you think that recruiting uh, – or affects the recruiting overall if this Texas and Oklahoma deal does go through and they eventually do join the SEC? Yeah, it'll impact it. I, I don't know how significant it will be and, and how much we'll see it. I don't know if it will be as drastic as AM's jump was, because one thing you have to factor in with AM's jump is that they also benefited from very early success in the SEC. Yes, they moved to the SEC and that helped the recruiting, but it also helped that they went 20 and 6 in their first two years. Johnny Manziel won a Heisman Trophy. They were kind of the talk of the league when they first got in. I, I think ultimately it boils down to on-field success. Oklahoma's had plenty, so I think this will help Oklahoma. Texas hasn't had that much, and I think ultimately that's what matters the most is when Texas gets in, are they going to succeed? Is Steve Sarkeesian going to help them get back to a conference championship contender? And if they do, then, yeah, it, I think it evens it out a little bit, and that's the one thing that AM has been able to sell to Texas prospects is like, hey, if you want to stay in the state of Texas and go play in the SEC, you come to us. Well, that card is no longer one you can play if Texas is in the SEC because now you have two options. So I, I don't think it'll cripple the recruiting, but certainly it will impact it and it removes an edge that they've enjoyed for the last eight years. Sam, that's one one thing I wanted to expand on. The everybody knows the the Texas brand is what what drives things. It's certainly, they haven't done a lot on the field and 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 a number of sports. But you know, looking ahead a few years. People, people automatically assume just because Texas is going into the SEC that, well, they're Texas. How do you see that fitting from a, from a competitive standpoint? And I'm also curious, what, what would that do for the money per team in the SEC? I mean, they're going to be printing money at that point. And <laughs> I mean, we could be looking at what, over close to maybe $60 million a, a school or, or, you know, something, you know, north of, north of at least 50 I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. As far as the on-field – product 
I think I think a lot of it's going to depend on where they're placed in the league, and I would imagine that we're not going to have eight team divisions. That we're going to probably have some type of pod set up of four teams apiece. I would be interested to see what pod are they put in. Is Texas put in with OU and A and M, and then who's the fourth team? Uh, that that is going to determine in some ways how they perform on the field. Also, it goes back to Sark. Is he going to? Texas has recruited a high level throughout this last decade. But they what they haven't done is develop players. So is he going to develop players at the highest level? Uh, are they going to be able to get draft picks in the league consistently? Uh, so so I think and the recruiting helps that if they if they're able to get better players, then perhaps they are able to to do a little bit better on the back end. But to your point on the revenue, it's going to skyrocket. So right now, the SEC in 2020 paid out 45 and a half million. I told you 37 for the Big 12 last year. That's with a first-tier rights deal with CBS that only pays the conference $55 million a year. In 2024, when ESPN takes the first-tier rights, that $55 million is going to go up to $300 million a year. So you do the math and spread that around to those 14 schools, I think you're looking at $60, $70, maybe even $80 million a year per institution distributed media rights. And the way I've put it is I think the SEC at some point, once OU and Texas come in and they renegotiate that deal – Every school is going to get the equivalent of a pretty solid Power Five athletic budget each year. You know, Texas Tech's athletic budget is in the 80s, I think, high 80s, mid 80s. Iowa State's, I think, in the same ballpark. And SEC may be approaching that much every single year just in media rights. That's not including all the other revenue you get from tickets and games and all all the other stuff. So that's a massive, massive amount of money. And I think it's going to stack the deck in the SEC's favor so much that I think it's going to have an impact on the sport that we may not all be ready for. And I, I don't, I, I'm, a, I do actually fear what this move means for the sport long-term just because of the impact it's going to have on competition. And essentially I feel like it's going to eliminate competition right. and there's going to draw a permanent line between those power four conferences or even the sec and the rest of the country. And it will create a permanent underclass from those powers conferences and the rest of the schools uh, in college football. I could see an Arkansas A&M, Oklahoma, Texas pod or something with LSU. And I'm not convinced even that, that Texas can win in, the, in that yeah. pod the way that they're going. I mean, I mean, money's driving this, getting a, getting a, away from the Big 12 and getting it. I mean, we all know Tex, Texas lives in the penthouse and, and, they, and they want to be in that building. They don't feel like they're there right now and, and they, they sort of rule over the, the, the league. But if they go to the SEC, they're – third or fourth in, in terms of just the the magnitude, you know, there's the Alabamas or the LSUs and certainly the Oklahoma. So, you know, they're, they're going from being the the team in the Big 12 to just, you know, one of the bunch, although they do have that brand still. Yeah, that's Same. the interesting thing. Is that they're one of the two tent poles in the Big 12, and now they're going into a league where they're not one of those. They're, they're one of – there's Alabama, there's Georgia, there's LSU. There's a lot of big brands in that league. Sam, how soon – Will Texas and Oklahoma join the SEC and compete? That's going to be interesting to watch. So they have they have indicated that they are willing to wait through the rest of the contract in 2025. I don't. I can't imagine that they're going to be four year lame ducks in that conference. That that doesn't that result isn't good for anybody. It's not going to be enjoyable for the Big Twelve. It's not going to be enjoyable for Texas and Oklahoma. I think you will eventually see once the moves are made and everything is complete. I think you'll see Texas and Oklahoma work to reach some kind of settlement with the Big 12 and try to get out 
I would imagine after the 2022 season, I can't imagine more than two years of, uh, of like two seasons of being a lame duck. Uh, I, I would expect if, if this move is made by 2023, which also happens to be the first year that could the new 12 team playoff could possibly take effect. I think you could see it coincide with 2023, but, but that is something that we'll have to, to watch here in the coming weeks and months. And Sam, you brought up a, a great point about the big 12 still having being autonomy, an autonomous conference for everybody. With that said, could you see Michael Resco with that caveat? Because the, the Big 12 will be an autonomous conference folding in the, the AAC teams under the Big 12 umbrella to maintain autonomy status. That's the question I think for Mike is, is, is he willing to do that? And I think, like I said, I think there's a benefit to it. And now we know their offices are now not very far from the Big 12 office. The American yep. is now located in Dallas, just like the Big 12 is. So I don't think I think it's a move that makes a lot of sense if you can make it happen. Uh, and, and I think if you bring in a lot of those American athletic schools, yes, the revenue is going to go down from what it was with the old Big 12 setup with Texas and OU. But I still but those American athletic conferences will see an increase and possibly could be doubling their annual media rights revenue intake every year, which I think would be good for those schools. And there's one thing that I will say, and I think there's an interesting case to be made for what I would call a Southwest Conference light, where you have Baylor, Texas Tech, TCU, Houston, and SMU all playing together again. Mm -hmm. if, if you can't have the elite revenue with everybody else, then why not make it enjoyable for your fans and have something that's interesting with some local rivalries that are fun, that are drivable, and bring some old familiar teams that you're used to that, you know, maybe maybe not the kids today, but, you know, people our age grew up watching. You know, I grew up watching Southwest Conference football. I know it's not the old conference with not – with Texas Tech and M in it, but it is a decent alternative, I think, to to the other options they have, which tech for Texas Tech, Baylor, and TCU is maybe going to the Pac-12. I, I would think staying in, in a league with the current Big 12 with the Autonomous 5 designation and being able to track some of those other schools in, I think it would still be a competitive league. I think it'd still be a good basketball league. I think it'd be a great basketball league, actually. And uh, I, I think there's a lot of appeal to it, but Again, that, those are decisions that those, ha those schools have to make here in the coming weeks. Joseph, what do you think about that? Well, Chris, from the AAC side, you know, I'll look at it this way. And, and we all know the, the American and, and Mike Oresco have been publicly uh, – have said publicly that, I mean, they, they dislike the whole, you know, P5. I mean, they, they've gone out of their way to make it a P6 – they do they don't they don't like anything about that they feel like it was sort of a a force deal where they had no say ever and they were relegated to uh, the little the little kids table uh if i'm them and just thinking how they would i don't know if they would want to merge like that and i don't know what the rule would state in terms of if if, if there could be a go back to the table and if you're the american you you leapfrog the big 12 or the big 12 loses it's 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 uh, a five status. I don't know how that would work. I don't even know if that's possible. I don't know the contract language. But if you're the American, why wouldn't you maybe try to strengthen your end, not not join them and then make your case for inclusion and, and, and take a chance that way? I just I don't I don't know the, the legality part of it. But that's the way I would go based on knowing their history, especially if they're going to join a Big 12 that loses its two headliners. 
I mean, there's not – you know, Baylor's great. I think Texas Tech or TCU, those, those schools, even Oklahoma State, those are, are would benefit the American. But I don't – I think it would be a reversal for them where they'd want those schools to fold into their conference versus, hey, let's take our 10 and 11 schools and go into a conference that now we're going to go save. We're, we're sort of their lifeboat. And, and I don't know if, if, if that's something they'd want to do. James, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, Joseph, what Joseph got, brought up is a great point. Um, I think, obviously, it makes sense for the American if they can get together with the Big 12. I think it would benefit them. But then you go to the legality issues of is it the big – 16 or whatever or do they take the american name and all that um ultimately though i think like this comes down to if the if this merge would even be possible is if schools like west virginia and kansas who have been reported to have had discussions with different teams joining do they value you know joining the big 10 or the acc more than uh merging with a conference like the american so it comes down to those schools because it, it eventually if the big 12 you know all these schools just falter off and you're only left with three or four, it doesn't make much sense, you know, uh, for the American to go into uh, the Big 12, in my opinion. Andy? Yeah, you guys have all hit it right in the nail when it, when in terms of right now. It, uh, from what I've seen with the American, I feel like they'd be too stubborn, at least for the next couple of seasons, to just fold. I wouldn't even say fold, but just merge a part of the Big 12. I feel like they'd be stubborn enough to try to get themselves into that P5 conversation. Not only that, but I think right now it, it's too chaotic and just in terms of you don't even know what, re, what potential realignment looks like for other conferences right now. What if Cincinnati decides to go elsewhere? What if Houston decides to go elsewhere? There's too much unknown right now for me to see the American making a move like that. And Joseph, this is for you. Um, and Sam, ch chime in if you have an answer to this. Have you heard, Joseph, a timetable for when Michael Resco will, I guess, for lack of a better term, invite schools to, to join the, the conference? No, I I haven't heard anything that definitive. You know, right now things have to take its its course, and that that begins, like Sam said, with Texas and OU uh, uh, making their intentions known, and and then I, I think at that point, then you'll see more things start to fall in place. You'll have some dominoes go, but you know, from the people that I spoke to this weekend, they they insisted that the American would, like we talked about, would be aggressive would would sort of be proactive this time around. They, they weren't certainly going to sit back and just let things develop and not have a say in it. They they want if they want a school, yeah, they want to they want to make that intention known. You know, they they put expansion on the back burner of uh, the last few years. And certainly after UConn left, they they sort of took a let let's see where this goes. And we've heard all the, the schools like Boise and BYU. But I would think that in, in the next couple of months, once this thing goes into motion, that's generally how things work where you'll see, you know, you won't see announcements, I don't think, but you'll at least start seeing leaks and, and word getting out about schools that are that are possibly on that radar or on a short list of, of starting to, to switch conferences. Sam, have you heard anything about a timetable for Michael Resco? No, not as of yet. I think they're just going to look at the landscape and see what they can do. I, I get the sense that they're like, like, Joseph said they're going to try to be an aggressor. And one thing I would keep in mind about this, too, is when these talks happen with the realignment discussion happens, I know the American is a popular conference that people look to possibly pluck teams. I would look to a lot of the teams in the league to probably stand pat because 
they are probably in a more stable situation right now than certainly the Big 12 is. And I think if you look at a team like Houston or, or SMU, certainly they would like to get into the Big 12 if the Big 12 stays together. But aside from that, I, I would imagine they're going to kind of sit back, let the dust settle, and like, like Joseph said, if, if they can, maybe pull some of those teams in from the Big 12 into their league if possible. Uh, again, I don't know how likely it is, but I think that's what they'll try. But aside from that, I, I can't imagine a, a ton of major movement from them in the interim. I think they're going to kind of wait and see what the landscape looks like and, and uh, use their plan of attack from there. Chris, you also have to look into what what's going to be available. For instance, I've heard some crazy scenarios. Uh, you know, one, the ACC would make sense for UCF, but Florida State will never allow it. Miami would probably never allow it. Then you, you look at how far the uh, westward – or excuse me, eastward would would the Pac-12 go? You can't have Oregon and UCF in the same in the same conference and call it the Pac-12, and and they'll just be logistically a nightmare. So you you know that's why UCF has always been mentioned as a possibility. If they left, it would be the Big 12. Uh, but again, there's there's so many different things that can happen. But then there's there's some things that I think are sort of off the table. You know, like 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 the, the ACC and, and UCF. So. You know what's left, and so like Sam said, I think that the the big players in the American UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston, and, and Memphis uh, feel like this is this is a spot for them right now. Uh, will it stay like that? You know, this thing we didn't think this was going to happen, so can't say for for sure. But for now, it's a lot better situation than uh than if you're those other eight schools in the uh, the Big Twelve right now. Well, the teams in remaining in the Big Twelve be able to exclude Houston from joining? Would TCU be able to keep SMU out from joining? Yeah, I think it's a possibility. Uh, it, I don't know if you say whether they can, but I think they will <laughs> attempt. Based on history, I would think they would attempt to keep them out, if at all possible, because, again, we go back to the same reason why A&M doesn't want Texas in the SEC. It's a recruiting advantage. And, and if you put them on par, if you put Houston and SMU in a league with Texas Tech, Baylor, and TCU, then you're even in a, even the amount of recruiting because the one thing those three schools can sell above those other two schools is they were in a power conference and they had easier access to a title. Now in a 12-team playoff world, that calculation or that calculus started to change a little bit. In a 12-team playoff world, SMU or Houston may have as good a shot of getting the playoffs as Texas Tech did. So that's going to be an interesting part of it too is, is whether how fast we get to a 12-team playoff and, and how the configuration winds up. Is it still going to be six, the highest six-ranked conference champions uh, based on you know this latest realignment? That, that I think that remains to be seen. But uh, I, I definitely think, uh, just based on history, that it would be Baylor and Texas Tech and TCU are going to feel it's in their best interest to not add any more Texas schools. And, and Chris, you know, if that's the thinking, that would be absolutely dumb of, of TCU or Texas Tech because right now, Houston doesn't need them. They they need the you know if if this dissolves, they need the American or they need another conference. So okay, if you're gonna if you're not gonna want to be in the Big Twelve with Houston because of recruiting, what happens when you have to go to the American and you're in there with Houston? You're gonna be recruiting the same area. You're gonna you're not gonna have a a, a better say over over Houston in terms of what conference you're in. Now if you go out to the Pac-12. That's a different story when you're selling recruits in terms of you know the the power, the autonomous five and stuff. 
But right now, that that whole thinking, and and for the younger guys here who don't remember how acrimonious and stuff that 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 whole breakup was in Southwest, it was ugly. I mean, it was bitter. And Baylor wouldn't have got in if, if certain political figures weren't in place. And, you know, that's that's been the, the talk all these years. But, you know, that that needs to be out the door. Texas and A&M can, can have their little, you know, Hatfields and McCoys and, and squabble because they, they are who they are. But when it comes down to it, you know, some of those other schools were going to get left out. So, you know, whether it's 30 years later or whatever, you know, times have changed. And, and right now, you know, whether Houston goes to the Big 12 or stays put, they, they are in a better place right now because their conference isn't on the verge right now of exploding. Big 12 could explode and it dissolve and completely go away. So, you know, that, that's the way I would look at it, where Houston, Houston certainly is in a much better position right now. Sam, Except for a couple of hundred million dollars. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Sam Khan from The Athletic. Man, we, when, when I talked to you and asked you to join, I said 10 to 20 minutes, man, we're going on 30. You want to hang around some more? You got, or you got, a, you got a boat? Yeah, give me, give. I got to hang around for one more question. I can hear my my ten month old crying, so I'll have to grab in a minute. But okay. uh, I'll tell you this. I'll I'll add on to what Joseph said, and this goes back to what I said earlier. I agree with him that it would be short sighted to keep those teams out. Again, I go back to the old Southwest Conference light idea. I think it'd be a lot of fun to have those five teams together. Think about the idea of. Texas Tech and Houston. I mean, we've seen Texas Tech and Houston play a lot in recent years on the football field, and it's always been fun. You know, Baylor and SMU, I think, could be a lot of fun. And we've seen them play in non-conference at times also. Uh, I, I think I think it would be really beneficial. And SMU particularly is on the rise right now. They're a program that is doing really, really well under Sonny Dice. They're recruiting at a high level. Their, their success right now reminds me a little bit of what Houston did in the mid, mid-2010s mid uh, under Tom Herman when they had the H-Town takeover going on and they're, they're recruiting Dallas in that same way. And I think they could be a real asset to a reconfigured Big 12 if, if the Big 12 decides to stay uh, intact. So I, I think it would be a good move. And, I, 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 and I'll leave it on this. I'd li- I said it earlier and I referenced it. I'm a little uneasy about what this, this entire move means for the future of college football. We, we get further and further away from what it was. We talked about the Southwest Conference and when conferences were more regional – and this seems to be so much of a money grab that I think we've we've gotten a really far away from where we were in 1984 when the Supreme Court, you know, had a decision and handed the, the television rights, contractual rights to the schools and the conferences. And it opened up a whole new world. And that's what led to the breakup of the Southwest Conference, led to the creation of the Big 12. And now it's led to the demise of the Big 12. And, and ultimately, now we're going to have our first super conference. So. I think it's it's something to keep in mind, and, and I don't know what it's going to look like in the next few years, but it's definitely going to be a new world, and it's going to be a different one that uh, I think it, for, for us who grew up with it a certain way, it's going to be hard to wrap our minds around. I Thank just you, want Sam. Houston and Baylor to play football. There you go. <laughs> That's one way to get them on the field. That's right. That's right. Dana Holgerson still wants to play, apparently. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. Sam, man, thank you for joining, joining us, and we'll try to get you on, uh, I guess, next Sunday if things break. Sounds good. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Take care, man. You too. All right. Uh, In case folks are wondering, Will Gibson, he's been having tech issues in and out. But I want to bring Will in from Ohio on this one because – and Joseph – uh-oh. Will's kind of there but not there. Um, Sam makes a a great point. Where does this end? Super confident. I mean, there was some talk about, you know, the ACC, Pac-12 kind of – merging to form a 
well, you, a conglomerate, 32-team conference kind of deal. Where, where does it end? Well, you know, the, the, the neighborhood either runs out of land or runs out of money. Uh, that's the way I look at it. I mean, what, what, where does the, you're right. Where does this end? You know, is there going to be enough of the pie to, to feed everyone? I would imagine, you know, that, that plays into a, into a factor because you look at the SEC, they're going to be worth every penny in terms of, of, of what they bring. I think what you run into, Chris, is, you know, we've already had the, the whole landscape where uh, a lot of the, the group of five coaches mentioned this at the coaches convention that, you know, you have half of the half of college football before the season even begins is eliminated. They have no shot. So if you just take that part of it, it's all it's already out of whack and, and so out of uh, in the imbalance there. But in terms of the revenue, I, I think I'm afraid that you're going to start seeing programs that have to dissolve, that, that people quit playing football. You know, athletic departments uh, make these cuts like we saw you know, during COVID. So, I mean, this thing could really, uh, for all the greatness that's going to come from super conferences and fans are happy, I think you're going to see the bad side of it as well. And uh, how bad, you know, that's just going to have to see, uh, you know, what's left when, when everybody goes their way and, and who gets left out and, and, and who's able to survive all this. Joseph, Andy, and James, could do you, for each of you, do you ever, do you envision a possibility at some point in the future of the money being too much or Houston just going to basketball only a conference kind of situation? I can't see that. Uh, just in terms of, um, I remember a couple of, I think it might've been last year when we did like a, a budget overview of just UH athletics as a whole, just how much that the university has invested into their football program. Uh, man, that something catastrophic has to happen if that were ever the case, in my opinion, with the university of Houston, just abandoning uh, football. James. I'm sort of similar to Andy. I think that uh, it would have to spiral out of control where it really is like, the SEC or maybe one or two conferences are really the only ones who people care about watching um, football wise, because they're just so far above and beyond everyone else. Um, and just, I mean, Texas in general, the state, you know, football is equivalent to religion here. And especially in Houston, um, huge football hub produces the most NFL players statistically as of 2020, and there's more coming in. So I don't, I don't see them, you know, going away from something that's been the bread and butter for so long. Joseph, Chris, you you broke out on the question. Can you repeat what what you were asking, just so I know I'm I'm answering correctly? Sure. Do you ever envision a scenario a future in the future of where U of H they just can't afford football anymore and have to go to basketball only conference? Never. Um, like these guys said, uh, football, football in a perfect world, football and basketball are your revenue generators. You know, those are the those are the two big ones. But there's, you know, even if you've had a bad product, you still have a product. And I and I think that means a lot to, one, a lot of people in the state of Texas because, as, as James mentioned, football football's king. But it's sort of if you lose your football program uh, by your own doing, that that sort of sends the message that, you know, you're not a player. You're not you're not big time. You're you're not. You know, even even if you've got no chance, I, I think they, they would keep their program regardless. And, you know, if they, they've done what they've done for 
you know, 30, 40, 50 years in terms of not having that, that uh, college football playoff or, you know, major conference, you know, Southwest conference wasn't around during the era of the, of the, you know, the P5s and the BCS and all that, but, but at least Houston would have a football program. So I, I honestly, there, there's no scenario that I could ever think of. And I couldn't even think of them going independent because, you know, there's a lot that goes into being independent and they, one, they don't have the name brand. I mean, yeah, they're Houston, but you know, I think of, I would think if I'm outside of Houston, there's a hundred things that I would think about before I think of the university of Houston, you know? So that from that standpoint, I couldn't see that route. So Keeping football would be the only thing, and and the guys are right. They put in a lot of money uh, to subsidize over the over the last several years, and they've got a, a, a fairly new stadium. They they've got plans to add on to the indoor facility. I mean, their their thinking is that they're moving forward. I mean, that they're you know they're not showing any 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 inkling that they're that they're pulling back. So that's why I I think that in terms of football. They're they're on. They believe they're on solid enough ground that 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 thought's not even crossing anybody's mind. All right, I think that y'all told me. Okay, so um, I could be wrong. I mean, in the in the case of the SEC, each school making receiving 70, 80 million per year, and Houston is in whatever conference they're in receiving 10, 15, if they're lucky. You know what I'm saying? The gap there, how are they going to remain competitive year in, year out? Are they just going to go to the college version of 5A football? You know, something like that. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm guessing right now at the current payout for the SEC by school – they're probably one school's probably making more than the entire Sun Belt, and or or, or more than the entire you know, Conference USA has I think 14, 14 schools, so it, it might be a little bit over fifty plus. But I mean everything is just out of whack. I mean you have seen I remember when schools were talking about twenty five million payouts and and, and twenty million or, or thirty million max. Now we we've all of a sudden have escalated. We're doubling, and and who knows at some point maybe they're going to triple the payout so you're right you know you you hear all these jokes about you know yeah are, are we are we relegated to you know 5a division 12 i mean whatever the whatever the the, the things are here in in texas but I mean, it's sort of what what the thinking is that the feeling is because you don't have any conference outside of you know the the sec and the big 10 and and probably with the acc and the, their new network i mean the pac 12 makes you know, good money, and but look where the Big 12 is going to be now, and look where the American and everybody else. There, there's a huge gap between those haves and and the really, really have-nots now. Do you guys believe if we get to a four 16-team super conferences that they um, kind of just separate themselves, and those 64 teams are what are you going to call it? Division X. College football, and then everybody else is, you know, Division One B, you know, kind of thing, or whatever. We get to that scenario. Is that coming? Is that is that where we're going? Is that where it's headed? It might, it de- just depending on looking at how big of an advantage um, SEC schools have in terms of revenue that they're bringing in. Eventually, if it's that big of a gap, other schools, whether it's 
you're going to have another super conference going to have to form just to be able to catch up with those schools from the SEC. And I could totally see that happening where, would you call it NFL light, the NFL 2.0, where you have these 64 teams that these are the ones that are actually going to matter, going to have at least a possibility to compete for college football, a playoff. But um, with the way, like Sam said, it, it could certainly be a completely different dynamic that looks completely different from, I mean, what I've seen in the past 10 years that I've like followed sports, I can't imagine how different it'll be from how you guys grew up with. James? I mean, I think for this, like if there was, you know, a one and one B, Houston's athletic department really has to consider, do they want to try to squeeze into one of those 64 teams would be the bottom tier um, and not super competitive or be competitive, but in the, you know, second tier division. Um, I think that's something they have to consider. And I don't know the answer to that, but I think it is a possibility if they're, if like Andy said, the gap gets so uh, wide with all the pay revenue and um, just the difference is insurmountable for some of these teams, not in those power super conferences or whatever you want to call them um, to be able to be competitive with any other. Joseph, what if U of H, you know, to take from Tillman, what if they are never part of a power conference? Then life will go on just like it has now. I mean, I, I don't, I don't see what they do. I mean, what you don't, you don't go down to one AA FCS, uh, and really, even though no one says it, I, I think we're already there, Chris. I mean, that's what the Power Five was. I mean, th there's the money gap. There's the until now. There's been the college football playoff and BCS gap. You know, they there has been every move possibly made to to push the 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 non-power five schools out of, of any shot. And we're talking undefeated teams that have, should have been in, whether it was central Florida that one year or Cincinnati or, or even Houston until they, you know, they lost to the Yukon in that, that 2015 season. So, you know, it may not be official or, you know, on paper or whatever, but I mean, I think they're, I think we're there already. You just, you know, you have those 64 or whatever it is right now. And, and that's it. But as far as Houston, if, if it never happens, you know, sort of the story, unfortunately, it's the story of their life. You know, you look at how the Southwest Conference played out and, and for the longest time when they were independent, you saw how tough it was when they got into the Southwest Conference. And then they won those first few years uh, big time and nobody liked them a lot more after that. So, I mean, they sort of had an uphill battle the entire time that they were in the Southwest conference of, of how they were perceived. And then you look at them getting left out and then you see how things shook out with the, uh, the no expansion in, in 2016. It's just, that's just unfortunately been uh, their story and the way things are going. I don't, I, as much as they want to be in one, I don't know if they're ever going to get that invitation and, if they don't, they just, they basically, it's just going to have to, it's just, they're just going to have to move on. Um, but, you know, we could be a hundred years old, Chris, or, or, or long gone and our kids, sports writers or whatever. And we, they might still be talking about this in 50 more years. Andy might be a grandpa by then and talking about Houston still not being in a power five. I mean, we don't know, or, or we could wake up in a year or two and we find out where we got a road trip to, to Eugene, Oregon, or to, in Arizona or somewhere in there because they're in the back 12. So uh, strange things are going on, but I, I see it going where things are getting a lot tighter and it's a lot tougher now to 
those power five teams that, that they've long had. Going to wrap it up with Joseph and James. One final question for both of you. Will, will both of you participate in next week's virtual AAC Football Media Day? Well, it's it's longer than a week away, but oh, I, I know what you what mean. What is it? Well, it's like August. It? I think it's August the third and fourth. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, third and fourth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I get it. It's not the same as in person. I, I had been told they were going to try to incorporate the lobster part of it, where like Red Lobster might have gotten involved and, and done something with the media, but Red Lobster wouldn't have been the same as that fresh lobster we're used to. So if you never had the lobster, <laughs> James or Andy or Chris, you missed out. So now it'll just be plain barbecue. Uh, but yeah, I, I will be uh, on the call. Be interested. Uh, thought they should have done it in person, though. Thank you. I think we all agree on that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, 100%. I mean, in person, just the whole experience we'll all agree on, you know, is just much better. But um, yes, like Joseph, I plan on um, being on the call for that. Um, and because I mean, there's so much to discuss, and especially with the latest news that we've talked about for the past hour or whatever. Um, and then just focusing, especially on Houston season, this, uh, this upcoming season, just because of how important it is for Dana um, to win and just what it means for the future of the program. So, yeah. Chris, right, you know, you, Chris, you know that on the American, how they do it, Oresco is kicks it off with like a state of the, the conference. I fully expect him to present a, a unified stand of where they are, but I also expect him, unlike in the past, I think he'll probably go a little bit more where he'll say, we are going to try to do this, or we are seriously looking at this. I, it, to me, that would send a message because right now they are in the spotlight. They have a chance to do some things, and I don't think it would, it would, it would help them to sort of play it coy and stuff. I think you say we plan on being a player in this, and we plan on shaking up you know, the, the, the what's left of the, the realignment to our favor. Great point, Joseph. And as you close it out with you, how can folks find you in social media? Well, for the next week, I'm on vacation, so they won't. But uh, <laughs> for, for the rest of the time, uh, just Joseph underscore Duarte. James, how about you, man? Yeah, Twitter, um, JDM2186. That's where you can find me. And then obviously on the Cougar, Daily Cougar online, that's where all my work is. And if Chris Duarte signs a massive deal, we're definitely family, and I won't be on next week. So <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. Eddie, thank you, man, for, for, for joining us. We appreciate it. And Anytime we'll do it again, time. man. Take care. Mm -hmm. Thank you, you guys. too, James. Take care, man. Thank you. All right. Let's see if, if the Wi-Fi man is – how about now, man? Because you were, you were buffering. I saw you trying to get in and out for a while. Man, there. listen. <laughs> I feel like, and you as a Detroit Piston fan can appreciate this. I feel like Jordan in the '85 All Star Game, man. You froze me out for Houston sports. That's okay. I understand. <laughs> I, I froze you. I, 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 I froze you out. I brought you in. We didn't see you. you. It was a black screen when I went to you, and then I was like, I kept seeing you the, the Wi-Fi buffer in and out. And I'm like, he's he's connecting. That he's going out. I want to go to him. And he goes out, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> so I was yeah, like, well. Man. But uh, I think you need to check check the people who who gave you an upgrade, man, because I think they kind of gave you the business. So, nah, uh, it's I, you know what? We'll talk offline. But I don't, I don't know. We'll talk okay, offline. Because yeah, it was weird. Because I saw it. Because one time I thought you were gonna go strictly audio. I was like, okay, well let's do, yeah. let's do audio, like Tamer did last Sunday. But yeah. Anyway, 
My man. Yes, sir. SEC potential future payouts, almost 70 to 80 million per school. Mm -hmm. Could the Big Ten get to that status? I think they can. What do you think? Yeah, uh, absolutely they can. Absolutely they can. I mean, and you asked me earlier, uh, Cincinnati is not an AAU school, but pretty much every other school in the Big Ten currently is. Um, but, yeah, 70, 80 million, they can get there without question. I mean, Ohio State, team up north, um, Nebraska. It's what Joseph may be a bad product, but it's a product. It's a product. So, yeah, they, they, they can get there. And see, Houston's not going to get there. I, I, you know, Andy, no matter what conference, what, whatever becomes of the American or whatever becomes of the Big 12 3.0 or whatever, the money will not be there to get to that level. They'll be lucky to get 15 million, 15, maybe 20 million per first member school. Man, that's that's just who that's a huge gap, man. That's that's a huge yeah. gap. Will I mean I guess not. Yeah. I mean, hasn't turned off fans yet. But at some point, could fans be turned off if their their schools just they see that we can't compete with these, you know, we can't compete with eighty million dollar football money, you know. Yeah. Can can I put that fifteen million in perspective? Not to yeah, go ahead. Just just to be transparent, fifteen million dollars is the gate for one Ohio State home football game. Wow! See, wow! Say that again. Say that again. Fifteen million dollars is the gate from one home Ohio State football game. And Happy Valley seats a hundred yeah. plus thousand, right, Will? Penn State, 100 plus thousand? Uh, 109, 110, 112, yeah, something like that. So you got to imagine their yep. their revenue per game, Jeez. home game is similar. I mean, TDCU houses like 28K, 25K, they're around there. And struggles to fill that. Yeah, they, they haven't filled it the past few seasons. Man, See, that, I mean, that's that's more than NRG Stadium. NRG Stadium only seats like 70, 70 Yeah. And see, that's one thing wow. I, I could say about the perception outside looking in. U of H football support is, is just not there. It pales in comparison to the big most of the Big Ten schools, most of the Big 12 schools. It is just not there. Houston... <laughs> Is a pro town, and even that, <laughs> I mean, iffy. If they're not winning, they're not winning. There's no support. So, <laughs> Look at how Minute Maid Park was when the Astros were dreadful. Yeah, it was empty. <laughs> Nothing only, but green seats. The only team, pro team that and we're going to see a test of that. You know, start I don't game. know about that. They, I was going to say they, they have they're, they're trying the to sell season tickets. Like the waitlist, the giant waitlist they had. Apparently, everybody got off it. So, yeah, you know, this is a fair weather town and many of we have a lot of outsiders who move to Houston for jobs and live here. So they're fans of other teams, you know, other cities. So they're not, they're not fans of Houston area teams. So, you know, I understand that a little bit. But overall, the the Pac-12 just seemingly refusing to even consider 
you know, judging from that um, gap that we've discussed with the SEC and schools like that, I think the Pac-12, when you base it off that, they're going to have to do something drastic, especially with those West Coast teams. I mean, you look at UCLA, Oregon, USC. I mean, those schools, I wouldn't feel like they'd be content with having to be in with that big of a gap. And if you mentioned Houston, they'll probably will never be able to reach 80 million in revenue. Based off that, I think they should do everything possible to somehow get attached to the Pac-12 or I don't know. But I agree. I think they're they're in an uphill battle to have to figure out if they ever get into a Power 5 school. See, you know, Pac- Pac-12 and, and Jess and Will, and Will says he can't hear us. We hear you, so I, I don't know what. Yeah, now he muted. That, that, that's weird. He how about, how about now? I can't hear you. Can you hear me? We hear yeah. you. Yeah. Oh yeah, I can't hear you. I can't. I can't hear you. He's gonna have to pull the YouTube. <laughs> yeah, we'll go to the YouTube. Set it up, see if we can click it again. But yeah, I want to get his perspective on this. But that's why I don't understand why the Pac-12. Does not want to come to expand, expand mm-hmm. to Texas, expand to Oklahoma, expand. You need the TV market. You need the eyeballs for your conference. How about now, Will? Talking here. Okay, we were just talking about it. That's why I, we don't understand why the Pac-12 has been so adamant about not ex- going east to come to Texas, to come to Oklahoma, the states, to add those member schools to improve your market share. Mm-hmm. I think that was a Larry Scott piece, the former commissioner. They have a new commissioner. Uh, right. His name escapes me right now. So Mr. maybe that's yeah, something. Mr. That's Kle- yeah. Yes. Yes. Maybe that's something on the table now moving forward. But Larry Scott, perhaps that's something he wasn't you know, willing to, to move forward. Maybe his member schools weren't looking to move forward with that. I don't know, but... You know, that's, that's stuff to look out for coming going forward. Because the numbers, Big Ten numbers are going to increase. The SEC, they're going to increase. Mm-hmm. Sure. If the ACC, and seeing this last two days, adds West Virginia, well, adds, changes membership, they can go back to ESPN to renegotiate that ridiculously long 20-year contract they signed back in 2016 which was just stupid. You know, in today's technology, why would you sign a 20-year deal of anything? Right. I don't care how much money is involved. 20 years is just way too long with technology today. But if they do change membership, they can go back to the table and renegotiate that. The Pac-12 could be left on the lurch. Big 10 negotiations is before Pac-12. SEC before Pac-12 comes up. If the ACC has membership, we'll be before the Pac-12. So they need to do something, I think, from a logic standpoint, do something to change that. They're waiting for the, you know, the company line is we're going to wait for a 2024, go to the open market and wait for these these bids to come in from other networks and stuff. Uh, well, if the money's being spent elsewhere, there's not going to be much money for you to get. Yeah, even the American was able to get that deal with ESPN. And even that. 12-year deal I thought was too long. You know, the number sounded good because it's $1 billion over 12 years. Okay, that's great. 
the SEC, ESPN's deal with the SEC is 300. What is it, Will? <laughs> what is so, I think it was, was it 300? Billion. I mean, yeah. what is it? It's, it's some ridiculous, it's something like that. just awesome number. Yeah. Um, so I think ESPN is going to be a player. ESPN's a player in this. Mm-hmm. They're wrapping up the SEC. They controlled college. They're, they're controlling college playoff. So if ESPN says, okay, Big 12, AAC, whatever you want to call it, we all need to merge the best. Of, oh, how about this? What if ESPN says, Michael Resco, Bob Bowlesby, we want these. These are the best teams we, we believe for the content. And this gives a list. And it's, the list includes Houston, Oklahoma State, Cincinnati, you know, whatever. 12 schools. ESPN says, we want these 12. And we'll give you a bump in pay. It, you know, will it be a, between – what the American gets and what the Big 12 was getting. Somewhere in the middle. Could that happen? Could ESPN just, we're running everything now. These are the schools we want to be in this new conference. Take it or leave it. Oh, yeah, without question, they can. That uh, SEC deals 10 years, $3 billion. $3 billion. It's $300 million per. Wow, $3 billion. 10 years, $3 billion. The American's deal was... 12 years, 1 billion. That, that's, and we thought that was great because it was better than what they were, had gotten. But <laughs> SEC said, yeah. And that's going to change. That's going to go up yeah. with Texas and Oklahoma joining us. But we're going to wrap it up. Man, we're going on two hours of, of doing this. This is, this is I, I like the flexibility of what we could do with folks talking sports. But Joseph Duarte brought up a great point. The American Athletic Conference media days, first day is August 3rd. Mm-hmm. I think Commissioner Resco in his state of the conference address to the media will be a great time for him to say, we're going to be proactive. We're going to be aggressive in what we're doing for membership expansion. I think personally, that'd be a great time for him to say, we've extended invitations too. Yeah, Boise State, BYU, Oklahoma State, you know, whatever team, team, you know, whatever. Texas Tech. Yeah. Someone. Just put it out there. You know, you this week, he's got connections throughout TV, the industry. I think, what is that? Next, August 3rd would be the, what? Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday? Tuesday. Next Tuesday. Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Will be a great yeah. time for him to make part of his conference, state of the conference speech. And put out there for everybody to hear. Y'all got enough time to just talk about Team USA losing to France? Let's go. All right. Did y'all watch the game? I did not. I didn't realize. Okay, what time was it? It was yeah. 3 in the morning? 8 a.m. Oh, no, no. It, it, it was yeah, seven, yeah. 7 o'clock Central Time. So, yeah, oh, I watched it. Because, because of Tamer. It's on Peacock Premium, Will. So, it ain't free. See, yeah, that's why I missed it. I, had, I don't have the premium. I have the free. So, yeah, if you're an Xfinity customer or another uh, cable company, you get it part of your package. But I don't have that. So I spent the money, you know, the five bucks plus tax, 540 to, to get it. They played well in the first half. Third quarter was just 
awful. Let me just pull up the numbers. It was awful. Um, let's and see. Was, Go ahead. I was just going to say, this was with Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and, and Devin Booker playing, correct? Right. Middleton didn't play a lot. Book played some. He struggled. Team USA led 45-37 at halftime. Kevin Durant played seven minutes in, in the first half because he was in foul trouble. Three fouls in seven minutes. And the irony is international ball is supposed to be physical, more physical. Let's get away with more hand checking, things like that. These refs, I don't know where they came from, but they call it, they, they call it a tight game. Because KD was, his fouls were, I mean, they were touch fouls. But U.S. led by eight at halftime, 45-37. They shot 17-37 from the floor in the first half. Six for 16 from three in the first half. France, 15 for 32 from the floor. One for 11 from three in the first half. Then the third quarter happened. Team USA went four for 15, one for five from three. France went nine for 16 from the floor and five for eight from three. Fourth quarter. So US, US are down 62-56 going into the fourth quarter. Drew Holiday went off. France, I think, scored one point the first five minutes or so of the fourth quarter. Drew Holiday scored 12 of Team USA's first 13 points. They looked good. Drew was saving them. Katie had his fourth foul. Drew still saving them. U.S. led 74-67 with 341 left in the ballgame. U.S. scored two points. Did not make a basket. Those two points were free throws when, when uh, I think Dame was fouled on three-point attempt. And that was in the final minute or so of the ballgame. Issue. U.S. in the eighth struggle. I think KD was 4 for 12 from the floor. Book was 1 for 6. Dame 3 for 10. Tatum 3 for 9. Hey, that's your four legit offensive weapons. All of them struggle to make shots. But with the seven-point lead, Team France, baseline out-of-bounds play. Nick Batum cut to the middle of the free throw line and then ran to the corner. Bam Adebayo made contact with Nick in the free throw lane and then left Nick alone as Nick went to the corner. Wide open for three-pointer. Bucket. USA goes down, doesn't score. France comes down. Another baseline out-of-bounds play. Run the same play. This time, it's Evan Fournier. Ends up in the corner. Bam doesn't go with him. Fournier. Bucket. So just like that, the same play, France scored five points. It was a long two. Fournier scored a long two. Almost was a three. Fournier scored 28 points in the ballgame. Drew was not on him enough. Evan ate up everybody else but Drew. U.S. again struggles to score. Their, their offense looked like if you, if the three of us were playing 
together. <laughs> Team USA, they settled. They didn't penetrate. They didn't break down the defense. They just hung around the perimeter. Just hoping that they made long shots. I mean, it was just awful. They were down two. Instead of going for two to tie the game, they decided to jack up threes. Clang, 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 clang. Timeout, final seconds, I think 17 seconds left or whatever. Inbounds, Drew passes the ball to Dame. Middle of the floor. Dame falls down while trying to catch the ball. Falls down. Loses the ball. Evan Fournier picks the ball up. Dame, as he's on the floor, sticks out his, I think, right leg and trips Fournier. Refs check the monitors. Intentional foul. Free throws in possession. That's it. So France ended the game on a 16-2 run in the last three minutes, 41 seconds. So the defense broke down because bam, communication, whatever. Somebody should go to the corner to cover the player, the player in the corner. Breakdown. And then offense, I don't know what they were running. I, I don't Dame had an open three, pass it up for a turnover. Who I don't know, these guys didn't like, look like they were NBA guys. Like they I don't know, I don't know what they were doing. Their offense just broke down. But I'm not surprised they lost. I think I said last week I thought France would win this game. So some folks saying, oh, it's a shock. It's a stunning loss. Oh, oh, all this kind of stuff. No, it's not. How does the team USA basketball fix what needs to be done to fix the program as a whole? Where do I start? Oh, Andy, you got it? Yes. No, I was just going to say now um, to add, a, I guess, an extra ingredient. Now now they have some pressure. They they have to win out the next two uh, group games it's just to have a chance to play in, in medal competition. I think that's interesting what you're going to add. And, and, Chris, one thing that you've said uh, in terms of with the game and the balance that the Team USA players kind of reverted to hero ball and – you know, that's a problem that's not even in the Olympics. You see that a lot in the NBA themselves. That's something that me, two-minute offense, that's what a lot of teams end up reverting to. And I think what you're seeing is kind of a, I don't even know if you can call it a cultural difference with how teams overseas play. They're, they're much more of a team-style basketball. And in Team USA, it's a lot more individualized. What say y'all? That's true to a point. Yeah. But Evan Fournier went one-on-one and ate up folks today. So mm. it, it wasn't a lot of penetration and kick kickouts to Fournier. You know, he took it one-on-one, dribble, step backs. You know, these France has NBA players too. Most of these countries have, have legit NBA players yeah. as well on their rosters. So I was and just really surprised that Drew wasn't guarding Fournier more because he ate up almost everybody else except Drew. So it's, it's clear. Drew Holiday, his impact the first five minutes of the fourth quarter were clear on defense, and he was scoring points. He scored, I think, 18 points. His effort 
was great, and they still lost because KD struck. KD was never in rhythm because of fouls. Um, but, you know, they're your main guys. They made his three three-pointers in the first half. Made nothing in the second half. Book. One bucket. Jason Tatum, I want to say, of his three baskets, two of them were in transition. Go ahead, Will. Fix UFC basketball. Well, I'm going to give him the flowers first, and I'm coming for next. Um, and pool play to have Iran and Czech Republic left. If they don't make the medal round at two and one, it's a bigger problem. Well, well quarterfinal. Quarterfinal. Yeah. 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 So that, that, that's a positive. Um, how do I fix Team USA? Um. First of all, you got to go back to the three-year commitment. I mean, this team came Thank together you. on Thank yeah. You. This team came together July sixth, and in the nineteen days, they've already had six players transition. You you lost two, Kevin Love and Bradley Beal, and then you added Holiday, Middleton, Booker, and Javale McGee in nineteen days. The days of throwing the USA jersey out there and saying we're going to win, and, and, and Pop has been saying it, and it's kind of been poo-pooed upon, but he's right. These teams have played together for weeks, months, some even years. And Dame said it best today. It was I saw it, and when he said it, I'm kind of like, you didn't think that? He said, these guys play different when it's for their country. In the NBA, I mean, in the, it's just NBA. Hey, I'm, I'm winning the chip. But when you're playing with France across your chest, it's all about country. Australia, Nigeria, these guys, it's, it's the world stage. But speaking of the world stage, cream of the crop, best of the best. I've been hearing that Kevin Garnett, or it's, pardon me, Kevin Durant is the best player in the world. Well, here on the world stage, where was it? Where was it? I, I didn't see it. But all being said, that that three-year commitment, I mean, this team's been together 19 days, and now we have two weeks for the Olympics. So in, what, five weeks you're supposed to come together and win a medal? A great individual talent. But, again, these teams have played together for months, years. You've got to have that three-year commitment. And hopefully Grant Hill, after taking over for uh, Jerry Colangelo as – director of USA Basketball, will hopefully implement that and bring some continuity and some cohesion to USA Basketball. That's, that's it right there, Will. That's a great point, man, because <clears throat> Draymond Green and Kevin Durant are the only two players on this, this, this squad that have Olympic experience. Mm-hmm. Other 10 guys, most of them have never played international ball. <clears throat> Rules are different. <clears throat> Style of play is different. So to expect them to play a different style of, <clears throat> of game well with new teammates in 19 days against good competition with cohesion, who's played together with chemistry, and then expect them to, I mean, some folks still are in the pipe dream of, oh, well, we're just going to, we're still going to win by 10, 15, 20, 30 points. No. No. And this year, COVID year, 
I commend Book, Middleton, and Drew for sticking with it. They were in the yeah. NBA Finals Tuesday. Yeah. Went to Tokyo, dressed up. Middleton didn't play a lot. Book struggled to make shots. But Drew played well. I mean, that is commendable for them. And I know some folks who talk about, well, the women's basketball players do this all the time. I know that. That has nothing to do with this. You know, WNBA finals, I don't know about them going to the Olympics two days after playing in the finals, you know, right. you know, kind of thing. Apples to apples comparisons. This, this, keep it real there. But they have to be a commitment to the program. A three-year commitment, you, you got to do it. Have a core six, core eight, and then based on injuries, based on need, based on whatever, add four more. But you know you got a starting five, a six-man who have been together for two, three years. You know you can count on them. They know, they know how to play together. They know where things, all that. You got to get to that. This, this, let's just throw a team together, put, put names in a hat. No. And another great point. I'm not, you know, I go back to it. It's just not the Olympics. It's just not that important to, it's not important to me anymore. Okay. So if it's not important to me anymore, I'm not surprised that it's not important to the, the players in America as much as it used to be. They've already got their, they're their own brands. They don't need the Olympics. They don't gain that much more from playing in the Olympics for winning a, a medal, winning a gold medal. They don't, they, you know. I don't even who who was on the twenty sixteen team. LeBron and Melo. KD. Okay. Okay. What, you said Draymond. Dr- Draymond was okay. That's four. Uh, was it Steph? Was Steph there? See, look, see, now I'm questioning. See, see, now you're now you're questioning. Yeah. Okay. I Good think point. Steph was. Uh, good point. Point, point made. See, that's that's those guys. That's the best. If the best mm-hmm. players, you know, if Steph Braun, let's put it like uh, out of the fifteen All NBA uh, NBA first team, second team, third team. Out of that fifteen, I don't know how many. Let's, let's say eight of them are team are USA. You get that eight, and, and hopefully that eight is part of a core that have been together for two, three years. You get that core, you add to that core, a Draymond Green, a Drew Holiday. I like, my, I like USA's chances. But you toss them together, you replacement JaVale McGee, a banged-up Kevin Love, uh, Keldon Johnson, you know, I'm not knocking these guys, but they aren't the best that the, the U.S. Could, has to offer for the Olympics. So that tells me this is not even – it's not important to them. I'm not even sure how important it is to USA basketball anymore because if it were important, you'd have, you'd have a core group of players you can pick from. So win, lose, it's not – I mean, they should wax Team Iran. Uh, I think it's July 26th, 11.40 p.m., Central time, they should thump them. They may struggle with Czech Republic a little bit. They should win that game and then advance to the quarterfinal rounds. But, okay, I'm not going to cry if they don't win a medal. 
Now, 20 years ago, I'll be pissed off. Yeah, I'm going to be. I'm going to be. You know, I'm going to keep it a buck. I will be. I'll you know, be upset. If they don't medal or don't win a gold medal? Both. Yes. Yes. Why? Why? Come on, man. It's the expectation. It's the expectation. It, it was a 25-game win streak snap today. I mean, yep. so. Dang, that's 2004. Yeah. I mean, come on. It, it's the best of the best. Yes. No, it's not. No, it's not. I understand. Yeah. And to that point, you're right. Because you said all NBA. I, I pulled it up while you were talking. Only two Americans are on the first team all NBA team. It was Giannis, Steph, Luka Doncic, Joker, and Kawhi. All NBA first team. Yeah. And who's before Drew, who's a point guard? Right. I, oh, I saw that I saw so many memes today. Trey Young. Where you had opportunities to call him. You had him. This, this roster construction was was poor. Horrible. The, Horrible. the recipe, I think, I don't believe it's changed too much. You, you've got to have point guards. You've got to have people who can defend the perimeter, pressure the ball. You've got to be able to have, be able to score in transition. Obviously, you need to have three points. You need to have three-point snipers. Okay? I'm, I'm talking 38, 39, 40%. Three, I mean, just marksmen from three-point range. And I, hey, y'all know I'm old school. If I need to get a bucket down low, I need somebody to score in the post. Yeah. You got to have that. Somebody who can get on the block, command a double team from the opposition. If they don't double team, it's going to be buckets all day long in the paint. If they do double team, we're going to kick it out to our three-point shooters and light y'all up. Who's low post th- threat on this team? Nobody. Mid-range game. Chris Middleton, maybe he's tired. And I hey, I understand. He barely played. He didn't get enough touches. I think the Bucs, and it is, yes, it's different basketball. Yes, I know. But the mid-range game should always be in style. It should never go out of style. Going back to roster construction, and we, we all agree it's, it's, it was horrible for this team. And with all due respect, which usually is a cold means I'm about to disrespect somebody. With all due respect, when I saw Jeremy Grant was on this team, I said, oh, we're in trouble. He didn't play today at all. He was DNP. DNP, CD. See, that's the problem. When I saw Jeremy Grant on this team, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I was surprised he got invited. Yes. Which goes back to the invites and goes back to the importance of how, the, the importance of this being on the team, the guys. You right. know, yes, injuries are part of this this year, and COVID is a part of it. And those are factors. But your main point of a, a core, a commitment, that needs, that needs to return. Three-year yes. commitment, that needs to return. Jeremy Grant, if nothing else, use him to on traps, pressure defense. You know, some aggressive defense, if nothing else, they don't do that enough. They laid, they just laid back. You know, the the, the defense, uh, the chemistry is still lacking. Um, I wasn't surprised Jeremy Grant didn't play. I mean, you know, especially when Middleton, when those guys came join the club, somebody wasn't going to play. Uh, Keldon Johnson, he's one of Pop's guys. Right. Barely played. But Keldon Johnson, 
is a as a spark, you know, on defense. This you gotta Team USA for its flaws is still the deepest team we think. So if, if you're a deep team, that means to me, utilize your bench. That means play faster. I know. Be more aggressive. Yeah. Force tempo. Force teams into turnovers. Score in transition. Get easier baskets. Because in the half court, USA is not – this team is not very good. And, and that was a criticism pop. Like you said, Coach K, that was his thing. Run, run, run. With pop, what is the offensive identity? No one knows. Because France, Rudy Gobert, and Vincent Poirier, those two big dudes, they went twin towers, second half. You would say they, they couldn't defend it. They didn't play zone, I think, at all enough to defend the big men. You know, the defensive problems were there. The offense on the stretch was, ooh, you know, just makes me wonder. But just get back to the commitment, a core commitment. Or I don't understand. I mean, I, I said this last week, guys. This is what I don't, I don't understand. Why does Team USA have to qualify every year for competitions? Compete. We know you get you, you give them a commitment. The best of the best. Team USA is still the best team in the, in the world. Why they need to play qualify for the World Championships? Why they need to qualify for the uh, Copa Americas Cups or the Gold Cup or whatever this stuff here is? You know, Central America and. Mexico. Come on, really? You're Seriously, right. you're you're forcing those guys. See, that's a, that's where we get into a problem. Well, part of their commitment, right? You got to have those guys playing those competitions, right? Why? And some of them, and some of them now with FIBA changing the rules, are during the NBA season. Yes. So that that stuff seems to me you 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 don't want the best to be in the Olympics, right? If you're having these competitions during the NBA season. What, where's the logic in that? If you're not going to do it that way, just go back to under 23, have everybody under 23 and throughout the world, and just have the youngsters play. Every, awesome. every, all over the place. Yeah. All over. Yeah. France. Let's see, let's see who, who's France's youngsters are. Let's see who Lithuania's youngsters are. Let's see Argentina, USA, the whole world, China, everybody. Under 23, Olympic competition. Let's do that. To that point, to that point, the World Championships, uh, the uh, uh, under nineteen World Championships last week or two weeks ago, uh, USA played France and won by two. Yeah, kind of a backdrop to today's France USA game. The under nineteen France team lost by two to and, the and, United States. And I forget his name, but he's a real thin young man. The best player in the U nineteens is from France. Yep. You know, he, he, not not American, he's from France. He he's a skilled, long, long drink of water. But you know, we, we talk about Chet Holmgren being thin. Boy, this young man. Woo. But boy, yeah. he's he can shoot from inside, block shots. He's the best player. You know, no knock on on a junior from La Tech. Right. I mean a Lofton Jr. But young fella from France. He got the NBA potential. You know, he, he'll be drafted high, you know. Right. But, well, see, your points 
you say all those things. That's why I'm just not. I won't be upset. I won't be pissed off if USA say that yeah, it doesn't win the gold medal in, in men's basketball. I just won't. Yeah. I just you know, women's basketball. I don't know. I won't be pissed. I'll be surprised because the talent gap is still there. But Andy and Will, the USA women's soccer team lost to was it Sweden? Sweden. Yep. Three zip, three nil. Three nil. Yep. That was an upset. That was a that was a big freaking deal. I don't hear the world on fire. Call some call it for massive changes in women's soccer in the states. All right. You would say women's gymnastics. After day one, dominated for ten years, right? Ten years in the second place. Yep. Oh, 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 what, what's wrong with what's wrong with gymnastics program now? Oh, you know, the sky is falling. Boy, folks can pick on what they want to pick on and ignore what they want to ignore. But I say all that, I'm off my soapbox again. <laughs> We're going on almost two and a half hours. Uh, Andy, how can folks catch that podcast y'all did the the combo podcast mock draft y'all put together on saturday how can folks check it out mm-hmm. they're gonna have to search up the launch pad podcast it's launch as an l-a-u-n-c-h pad p-a-d podcast and then we actually have pod slime jamma and obviously it's fluid but as of right now we're scheduled to have ron huey uh, for this upcoming week, it should go up on Thursday, same day as the NBA draft. So, like I said, it it could always be fluid, but as of right now, that's that's the plan, and we're trying to get more guests. And and like I said, we're we're approaching August. Football media day is about to start, so we're hoping to expand our coverage into that. So, just it's the best time. And and like I mentioned, Chris does a lot to talk about just with today with the conference realignment and stuff like that. There was some Houston, and not to go on a tangent because we've already been on for a while, but there was some big uh, NFL Houston news that happened today as well. Yeah, we may have to get somebody to talk Texans, and we will get somebody to talk Texans. All right, I had a question asked, when does Jalen Green speak to the media? Jalen is scheduled to talk to media July 26th at 12.15 p.m. Central Time. So Jalen Green will talk to the media tomorrow. Tomorrow, mm-hmm. twelve fifteen Central Time. Um, I'll have, I'll be busy tomorrow, but the NBA will post the content um, later on Monday, and I should be able to check it out then. So, but yeah, the list of young fellas talking tomorrow. Davion Mitchell from Baylor is first. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ten thirty. Followed by Cam Thomas, LSU at 11. Then Zaya Williams from Stanford, 11.25. Jalen Green, these are all central time. Jalen Green, 12.15. Keon Johnson at 105. James Boutonite from UConn, 130. Franz Wagner, 155. Uh, Chris Duarte, 220. Hmm. Alperin Sungun from Turkey at 245. And then closing it out, Corey Kispert from Gonzaga, Gonzaga at 320. And then on Tuesday, by himself, looks like, right, right now, uh, 11 a.m., Jalen Suggs. It's almost draft time. Looking forward to it. Uh, as the things stand right now, the Rockets are going to have, uh, for the draft on the 29th, virtual media sessions won't be in person. So 
get the interviews via Zoom with whatever they do after Jalen Green at the two spot. So I'll have that. And then whatever they do, if they have picks, you say keep the picks for 23 and 24, have interviews and have that post on my YouTube channel at Houston Round Bar Review. But yeah, I'm looking forward to this week. Of course, um, <clears throat> if we do a show next Sunday, just to let y'all know, I will be wearing my, my Pistons cap. Um, heck, if I could get me a Kane Cunningham mm. cap by Sunday, I'm going to do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, yeah. All right, Will, wrap it up with you, man. How can folks find you on social media? I appreciate, appreciate the opportunity. Uh, Will Gibson 7 on social media platforms, uh, Twitter, as well as Instagram. Um, the Will Knows uh, Facebook page, Will Knows Podcast, as well as our website, www.wtgsports.com. All right, we're going to close it out. Wow, two and a half hours, man. Two and a half hours, mm-hmm. a lot of football talk because college football makes college sports go around. You know, folks talking sports, we'll get into other sports. We'll get back to basketball. It will be the core. But with the news of the Longhorns, the Sooners going to the SEC, that was big news. And the impacts, U of H and a lot of teams that we cover here in town locally and get how to get Will's perspective as well from the Big Ten point of view. But trust us, basketball will still be our core. But as Andy touched on it, we will have some folks talk Texans on, on here in, in the future. May get somebody to talk baseball at the Astros, who are, I think, five games up on the A's in, the, in their division. So it's folks talking sports. It's not folks talking basketball. So, yes, it's Houston Round Bar Review presents folks talking sports. We're going to do a lot going forward here in the weeks and months and hopefully years go by. So I'm Chris Gardner of Houston Round Bar Review, HoustonRoundBarReview.com. Houston Round Bar Review on YouTube and Instagram, Twitter, T-H-E-H-R Review. Let me pull that up real quick as we close it out so if I can see the Twitter uh, handles for all of us. Um, you see mine there, and then Andianes, Ayanis underscore five, and then Will Gibson seven on Twitter. Gentlemen, thank you very much for this. Thank you for our guests, uh, Sam Khan from The Athletic, Joseph Duarte from the Houston Chronicle and James Mueller from the Daily Cougar. There's a lot. We touched on a lot. Two and a half hours. I don't know if we're going to go long like this again, but if we have reason to, we can. We, we're flexible to do that. Fellas, thank you very much. Oh, let's put it out there right now. Are you good for next Sunday, same time? Yes, yes. Sunday works. All right. So next Sunday, 7 p.m. Central. We give a recap of NBA draft and may have some uh, content to post from interviews, post-draft interviews of, of, yeah. of draft picks. There'll, be a, there'll be a lot of content. Yep. So, yeah. So, let's look forward to that. Everybody, thank you very much. For everybody who tuned in today, I think this was, was, was the most views we had so far to date. On and upward going fun. forward. Thank you very much for your comments. And uh, come back to us next Sunday. It'll be August 1st, 7 p.m. Folks Talking Sports. Y'all take care.